welcome everybody to episode 55 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'd like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra, Australia, Canada, the USA and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Jeff Allport is our interviewee in episode 55. Born in 1970, Jeff began his football journey in the southern suburbs of Wollongong, firstly with Oak Flats and then with Albion Park. It was here that his passion for the game started and Jeff loved the game along with cricket in the summer. In his junior career, Jeff additionally made the Illawarra representative team and as time passed, he was selected in other representative teams. It was here that Jeff developed his game, lifelong friendships and great memories. After a successful junior career in club, school and representative teams, Jeff then had a wide and varied senior career, which finished in the early 2000s. After this point, he then took up coaching in the Allura. The clubs, places and people that have been a part of Jeff's football journey are extremely intriguing and I was fully immersed for the entire episode. The reason that Jeff kept me intrigued was due to his love of the game, which comes through every time he talks about football and it was easy to see in his face. Jeff respects the game, the clubs and the people who are a part of it. Plus, he has a drive and curiosity for the game that has never diminished since the 1970s. And this is the reason why he's still involved five decades later. My sincere appreciation go out to Jeff for moving his family schedule around for this interview and allowing me into his house. I learnt a lot and gained further insight into our local football history via Jeff's journey. So thank you, Jeff. It was a delight and a pleasure to have interviewed you. Please enjoy episode 55. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the leafy surrounds of Horsley and I'm here with my very, very special guest in Jeff Allport. Jeff, welcome and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks very much, Travis. Looking forward to it. Let's uh, dig right in. Uh, You were born down south here Mm -hmm. in 1970. Um, What were your first memories of football? Uh, first memories of football uh, was pretty early early doors. Uh, so I was born in 1970, um, born and raised in Albion Park Rail. Uh, I lived in Robin Road, which was just north of Albion Oval. So it was like 200 metres down the road, a big expanse of space that had two rugby league fields and three soccer fields at the back mm-hmm. of that. So um, a lot of recollection, a lot of memories about just being told to get outside and get in the oval and muck around. So that's where I spent a lot of my childhood. And, and they were the sort of two, I guess, football was one big sport, but cricket was another as well, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed my cricket, still do, and my cricket tragic. And um, so the two, two sports sort of melded in nicely. You know, soccer was, winter was all about soccer, and then um, as soon as it started getting warmer, the cricket gear came out and we were straight into the cricket. So, And I was lucky to have a lot of mates that shared the same passion for both sports, so away we went. And with... Uh, the football um, before we talk about your journey in organised football 
with the junior club. Uh, what about your parents and, and their uh, sporting backgrounds? Yeah, um, yeah, completely different actually. Um, my father was uh, raised in Crookwell, um, yeah. just out near Goulburn Way. Um, left school about 13 or 14 is my understanding and was became a truck driver um, and remained a truck driver all his working life. But uh, he... Yeah, in his teenage years, he played a lot of hockey, which was the go up there in, in Crookwell, um, and a bit of basketball as well. Mum, on the other hand, was very much part of a, um, a footballing family. She's a Wellington and born and raised in Balgowney. And her father, Stanley Wellington, my grandfather, you know, used to talk lots to me about, about soccer and football and who he played with and against and all that sort of thing. So they're very much, mum's side of the family, we're, we're a football-related um, family, but... Both enjoyed their sport and both very keen for me and my sister to be involved in sport at an early age as well. And that Bowgowny link, um, I, I like that when you wrote out your timeline mm. that um, your great uncle is Dave Ward. Yeah. And um, uh, for listeners, he was in a well, he was part of the first Socceroos team in 1922 when, and played numerous games for Australia, New South Wales, and and the South Coast, along with uh, Titchy Thompson and Judy Masters. Yeah, yeah, and, and and my grandfather spoke a little bit about Uncle Dave, but he, he spent a lot more time talking about Judy Masters <laughs> and Titsy Thompson. They were the two names that I just just came came to me when I, I started thinking about those conversations in years gone by. I mean, he's passed a long time now, but um, it wouldn't matter what conversation it was it would always get around to football and particularly those two names but um yeah he loved his football um and I guess uh, that sort of was good for me because then I could try to talk about what I was doing but it always get back to Balgowny in those 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 days and and um you know what what it was like back in those days so yeah no he was very passionate about his football. And do you recall uh, although a long time ago and you were very young do you recall um, what were some of his memories of, of those times? Yeah, it, it was it was about, you know, no doubt they worked very hard. Um, he was a, a butcher by trade and they had their slaughterhouse in, in yep. um, the back of Balgowny and that's where the family was raised. And he had something like seven or eight brothers. It was a massive family, as probably lots were in those days. And it was about the weekend, getting to the weekend and being able to come together and play soccer. Um, and he would talk about not just the 11 v 11 game, but there'd be you know, like heaps of people out there just <laughs> trying to get get hold of the ball and and get be involved. So yeah, and then going away, he talked about you know rivalries with other clubs, yep. um, particularly Newcastle-based clubs. Yep. I think West Wall's End came up yep. quite a lot. His his son, my uncle Stanley, was a, a good player, so they, they sort of carried on with their football throughout throughout that generational period. But it was about local local rivalries and getting to the weekend and being able to seem to be the highlight of their week, really, as it was for me growing up. So, yeah, there was a great connection there. Your first year, even though you were closer to Albion Park, mm-hmm. um, your first first year of junior organised football was with Oak Flats. Uh, what do you recall of that? Yeah. How did it happen? Yeah, I was... So my next-door neighbour, the Browns, Paul Brown was playing at the time, and and in Albion Park at that stage. So we're talking back 1974 yep. um, was my first trophy, I think, as <laughs> um, when I first played. There was no Albion Park Soccer Club, so if you wanted to play, you had to go and play for Eight Flats. And um, Paul was playing again. You know, I'm looking for something to do. Jumped in the car with him, went and watched him play, and came back and told Mum and Dad that look, this is what I want to do. I want to play. You know, <laughs> you're only four. You can't play. You're too young. No, I'm not. Um, and got into it from there. So I spent a couple of years at Oak Flats, 
uh, Albion Park kicked off, I think, in 1975, and a year later, um, I sort of transferred from Oak Flats to, to Albion Park because it was just down the road. <laughs> and and for yourself, um, the purple and white were, were the, the colours of Oak Flats, yeah. but then you transferred to, to what you more commonly uh, probably appreciate and sort of adore more is the, the green and white. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. What about um, those those years at Albion Park Junior Soccer Club? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the the people that players and coaches that you remember playing alongside? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, not only the players and coaches, but mum and dad had a real um, in, engagement with the club as well. It was a young club, you know. They were struggling to attract players, um, finances to try and kick things off. Um, so mum and dad. Along with people like Harry Hunt and Jim Jim Nolan, yep. um, who are recognised, particularly Jim Nolan, you know he's a legend in those parts. Um, you know they, they they worked incredibly hard to um, lay a foundation for the club to to grow and build. Um, and at that time, it sort of fitted in because it was a it was a growing area, Albion Park, Albion Park Rail. So it was great that Mum and Dad were involved in that um, and trying to attract sponsors and engage people. So I seen that, and you know it was good for me not only to play but to see them and the work they were putting in to bring people together. Um, so that was that was really good, and it was also an outlet for me and my mates, you know, yeah. because we were we we're all local. Um, we didn't have to travel to Oak Flats because we'd just go down the road. <laughs> we'd train there, we'd muck around down there, and come a weekend we got to play there. So and the, the, at the time, Albion Park seniors were down there as well. So it was all about oh, you know, one day hopefully get to play first grade for Albion Park. So. And that sort of stuck with me in years down the track, sort of thing. But yeah, it was a it was a really good connection. And and some of the the coaches and, and players in particular uh, that you played with. Yeah, there was very very much a, a an English feel to it. Feel to it, absolutely. So uh, John McLaughlin was one of my coaches. Bob Davy, who was just a mad um, West Ham Hammers supporter, so he wanted us. He wasn't too happy about the green and white. He wanted us to have <laughs> yeah, the West Ham colours, but. Um, yeah, we, and they were really passionate about their football. So, you know, you could see that. And I, I sort of really was attracted to that. You know, you could see people just love their football and it was a great environment to be around. Um, and we had we had a fair bit of success because, you know, I was like seven, eight years of age and through that time there was no small-sided game. So you're on the big yeah. field, you know. <laughs> so if you could run and if you could kick a ball, you'd do pretty well, you know. So And we had some... We had some pretty talented players, but fast players. We had Simon Hull, yeah. um, who, who who played as our striker. So it was just a matter of a few of us, you know, being able to boot the ball in behind there, you know, back to whatever the defensive structure they had. <laughs> um, very little at times, and Hully would just run onto it and score goal after goal. So that was our mantra. That's what we pretty much stuck to, and it created created a lot of success for us in those years. We won a lot of games and got to play in Champion of Champions and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, very, very special times. And Champions of Champions, um, a big part of junior football, that must have been for a young club as well and, and your parents' involvement or engagement that you spoke about, it must have been a, a great feeling for the club itself in the in its infancy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So people like Harry Hunt and Jimmy Nolan, you could see, you know, that... that if, 
brought a lot of pride to them because they put so much work into establishing the club that here was a team that was really doing well and taking it to a, the more established clubs yeah. in, the, in the local area and then going on and doing other things outside of um, the region. So, you know, you could see you've got a real sense of pride and community spirit amongst that. So it was good and um, we fed off that, you know. It was like, wow, this is really good. And, um, you know, having those, you know, talented people like Hully and um, Stuart Thompson um, who went on later to become a baseballer for, and played in the Olympics for Australia. Shane Scard, who went on to play um, hockey uh, at a decent level. So we had some very sport-minded kids that just got together and did good things. Yeah. And for yourself, um, position-wise, where did you start off uh, yeah. in the game? Because it was, like you said, you played on the big field from the start, no small-sided games. Yeah, no, there was no small-sided games, but it was very much you know, old-school you know, five forwards, three midfielders and only two at the back. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's sort of the exact reverse of that now. You see, look at the EPL and they're all playing five at the back and maybe one up top if you're lucky. Um, so it's a complete reversal of the way football used to be played. So, And I, and I guess, again, having that um, English influence in those days, it was, you know, having your gun centre forward, inside right, inside left, two wingers outside of that, um, a good centre half and then two two of the big boys at the back sort of thing, and that's how we played. So I found myself, I love playing inside right. Um, And again, that that, that goes back to that connection with my grandfather, talking about, you know, where Uncle Dave used to play and and Judy Masters and how they fed off each other and Titsy Thompson out wide on the wing. I'm thinking, okay, this is what we're doing, you know. So it was good. Um, So inside right, and then I sort of came back and played centre-half because I, I did have a decent kick on me, so it was pretty much Jeff... You know, knock the ball long and get Hully going. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's my job, and that was Hully's job to score. So we, yeah, we had a really good understanding that um, served us well for a lot of years. And do you, looking back now, do you think that you had already a set of abilities as a footballer, or did you have to work hard to become the player that you were were on track to becoming? Uh, yeah, I didn't. That's a good question because I think at the time I didn't give it much thought. It was just about doing the best you can at the weekend yep. and enjoying and just enjoying your football. So I think that carried on. That was really it's always been very important to me that in whatever setting it was that yes, no doubt wanted to work hard and a lot of those influences came from mum and dad because life was tough yep. and they worked incredibly hard. But so that was already built into whatever you did yep. and you just transferred that into your um, sport. Um, but the enjoyment was a, a key thing for me as well. So that that's sort of run through the whole way through my football journey. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's been incredibly important, both aspects. Partway through, with Albion Park Junior Soccer Club, you were selected to play for the Illawarra Junior representative team in that age group. Um, how did the trial come about and, and how did you feel when you were selected for this team? Yeah, so... It's sort of, so from under sevens right through to under 10. Under 10s is when the Illawarra at that stage kicked in. So we're talking 1980 now, having been born in 1970. So under 10s was the first significant trial for a rep team. And we'd done, Albion Park that is, had done extremely well, you know, from sevens right through to through under 10s. We were sort of winning winning the competition and participating in champion champions and all that sort of thing. But um, the trial, that and this was the way it was for a lot of years, I can recall literally hundreds of players from all over the region 
trialling to play. So I don't know how they could win about selecting a team. I really don't, <laughs> you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I missed out um, in the under-10. Simon Hull got selected um, and he went off and was playing. He still stayed with us but went off and played um, Illawarra reps on the Sunday. Yep. And that was like, oh, you know, in your footballing journey, you, you have you have good periods and you have a lot of um, things that rattle you yeah. and disappoint you and you have to deal with that. And that was, a, from memory, my first real disappointment. You know, I felt like oh, I could have been the chance but missed out. So what do you do about that, you know? Yeah. And you've got a decision to make. You either, you know, wallow in your own self-pity or you pick <laughs> yourself up and you go again. So I was learning those sort of things at, at a very young yeah, age, age, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was one, probably one of the first times that happened. But um, as luck would have it, during that year, I think a player had to pull out for, for, for reasons that I'm not sure about, but I got called up to be a part of the team. Yep. So, you know, that, that was both uh, happy but also um, a little bit daunting because they were pretty much already established and they were a gun side, you know, <laughs> and I was very pleased to be a part of it in years to come. But at that time, you know, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, now I'm here. Do I deserve to be here? Do I want to be here? I'm sort of left my mates, local mates, and I'm in this environment now. And we're talking players of the calibre of um, Jason Higgs and Jamie Warren and Minnie Bonatig, you know, um, and Hully was in there, which was good. Um, so I had that connection. So that took a bit of time to feel as though I was a part of that um, and, you know, deservingly a part of it. So, but once that kicked in, uh, I sort of went to another, felt like I went to another level and away I went. And did you play in the same position in that team that you played in at Albion Park? Uh, yeah, I was, no, actually, no, I had to, oh, I had to. <laughs> uh, I was drafted in as a defender and on the left-hand side predominantly. So I played a lot at the back, centre-back, but also left-back. And I had no no left foot, you know. Um, I was all right with on the right side, but no left foot. And so that's part of that. You know, when you you – did it come naturally or did you have to work at your game? I had to work incredibly hard about um, developing my left foot, you know, and getting forward and knocking in left foot crosses and all that sort of thing and that – I, you know, I just took that on as a challenge and and towards, you know, in later years, I felt as though that I was more accomplished with my left foot than I was with my right foot, uh, particularly in crossing the ball. So that was all part of the challenge of playing football, I guess. And, and you've said before that, you know, you come from a working class background mm-hmm. and every Sunday... You know, you'd be travelling up every second Sunday to yeah. Sydney. Yeah. So, um, although an enjoyable time, I find it fascinating not being football specific, but as part of the journey, the logistics of getting up there as a group of yeah. parents and kids. So, what do you recall of oh, that? I still shake my head at it, to be honest. Because, <laughs> so, like I said, we mentioned before, Dad was a, a, a truck driver, interstate truck driver. So, he would do massive hours during the week. I would, Mum ran the, ran the family. Dad was always at work, you know. He, He'd have to get up and go to work at two o'clock in the morning, come home, and I can remember him sitting at the dinner table, you know, just trying to get through his dinner but falling asleep at the table, you know, (laughs) Um, because he knew he had to get up and go again. So when it came to Saturday and Sunday mornings, if we were playing in Sydney, it didn't matter what state he was in, he he was there. So mum and dad were in the front seat. My sister had to come along because there was no one to look after (laughs) us, so she wasn't too happy about it. And um, unfortunately, you know, Dad took it upon himself. In those days, there's no mobile phones or anything yeah. like that. You had the, the Gregory's, no you know, the Bible <laughs> yeah. um, that came out of the glove box. So <laughs> Mum was in charge of that, Dad in the front seat. And we'd meet as a, as a team 
all the parents in a convoy, basically, and depending on where we were going, it was Don's Fish and Chip Shop yep. at, um, where's that, Waterfall, yep. you know, there? Yep. Or if we're heading out sort of the other way towards Marconi and all that, that, that way to be at the top of um, Appen Road there, um, so Picton Road. So, what, yeah, we'd, we'd have two points there. We'd, we'd meet up, we'd, we'd get together, everyone's here, okay, we go, and it was just one long, long procession Convoy, as yep. we headed into Sydney. <laughs> but, you know, getting there... We are never never late, but we are never on time because we'd always get lost. We would just always get lost. And <laughs> I can can clearly remember, you know, Dad dad driving, me looking behind, seeing everyone's coming through the sets of lights as we'd go, and then Mum with the Gregories. And I knew we were always in trouble when she started doing 360-degree turns with the Gregories. <laughs> I thought, shit, here we go, we're in trouble now. <laughs> and that was pretty consistent. But And there was lots of arguments on the way up, but um, we always got there. We always got there. <laughs> And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the trips home were always a lot more relaxed <laughs> than getting there, but all good. Yeah. And what about uh, playing against these other representative teams? Because yeah. as you've explained briefly, with Albion Park, you were a successful team in local and went to Champions of Champions. But how was it to play against quality teams yeah. on every every Sunday? Yeah, it was good. It was really good because it was that it was next level stuff for us you know, as a group. But again, you know, a fortunate. You know, to have a really, uh, we're, we're blessed with the talent that we had in that Illawarra side um, and some good coaching as well. But um, we, you know, we had a fair degree, a lot of success um, yep. straight away. So we, we, we'd win a lot of games by big margins. And again, because we had just quality players, but you know, we were up against quality sides as well. And when we got into under 13s and 14s, we, we, you know, those associations sort of came together and teams like Sydney Olympic in particular and yeah. Sutherland um, had some great great plays and great teams as well and they became really, really um, challenging games. So where early doors we would, you know, in 10s and 11s, we would blow sides away 10-0, you know, was most of the time um, and win the competition by big margins. It started to get a lot closer as we got older. Um, and we were used to winning and used to having success. So being challenged by that raised us again because, you know, we, we like to win, you know, okay. um, and there were some quality players in amongst that. So, yeah, that, those challenges presented themselves and, you know, it took a bit for us to... We'd lose the odd game, but not very many, but, um, you know, that, that knocked us around, but it also inspired us to say, well, no, you know, we, we can do better and we often did do better. Yeah. And and you spoke about good coaching. Who were the coaches? Yeah, the so coach? tens and elevens. We had Pat Rowlett, yep. um, and often the manager would be a father of the team. And yep. early in those first few years, it was Doug Troth who did a great yep. job. Along and Pat was very much skills based coach. Yep. So we we trained at Unidera Oval because that was fairly central to ge- geographically the Illawarra mm-hmm. area. So we had people coming from Thrill, Peter Bott, Ian Paduski, Chris Curtin, and then down south there was like myself, Harley, Minio Bonatig, Jamie Warren. And then Higsey and that were centrally, they were yep. a Unidera boy, so it sort of was a good fit. And we would, he, he would really drill us the, the, the tactical and the, the technical aspect of the game. Um, and I think that served us really well in the later years. And then after that, we had uh, Ross Warren came yep. in as our coach and Brian Bott, who was Peter's father. They were a really good combination as well because they, again, brought 
brought a, a another level of professionalism. You know, obviously with um, you know Ross's connection uh, with football generally. Yeah. You know, he and he, he just his wealth of experience and his passion that he brings to the game as well. <laughs> it just it was like wow, you know, he, that's Johnny Warren's brother. You know, um, so it was. We just, there was just that automatic respect for him, but he he warranted that respect anyway, just the way he carried himself and the way he, he related to the players. So Ross was a big influence on all of us in, in those next couple of years, and particularly because now we're getting into 13s and 14s and we were getting challenged by teams yeah. like Olympic. Um, we weren't winning every game, but we were still winning most games, and he sort of mentored us through that, you know, because we were just all about winning up to that point. Um, but then those challenges presented themselves and we had to learn from it and accept those losses, which we didn't do very well early on, but was learning, you know. Yeah, um, and we came out better players for it, definitely, individually and collectively. And I guess um, later on, and, and we've got a lot to talk about before we get to your coaching career, but surely you must have, in the past 10, 15 years when you've been coaching, utilised some of those lessons learnt and not just the direct lessons, but watching those guys behave and how yeah. they did things, that must have helped you yeah. or be part of your coaching DNA. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I, and I think that's the best thing that you can do as now being a coach is to t- take on those experiences and look at how people conduct themselves and how they relate to players and all that sort of thing. So that's been a big part of how, I've, how I want to coach moving forward, yeah. And over the, that junior period there where you are playing both with Albion Park and Illawarra, is there still games that are vivid in your memory that still stick out? Yeah, we, there was yeah, very much. Um, so what, we are uh, the Ampole Cup in under-14s. We, we played at St George, who were like a Sydney Olympic and Sutherland. We're a very strong side. And um, then there was another game. We managed to win that, um, which was really good. Um, there was another game there. I think it was uh, the the final against again at um, Barton Stadium at St yeah. George there, which is I think they're going to do up again if yeah, they've got hold of, which is great so. news. Yeah, because it's close to the airport and what have you. But um, back in the day, it was a really great ground, you know. Um, and I remember going to penalties against Olympic and missing a penalty, <laughs> um, which you know meant we could lose. And then Jamie stepped up and he missed as well, so which meant we lost it. So that was heart-wrenching so it's funny how you remember the bad times a little <laughs> bit but there's lots of wins in amongst that but that that one sticks vividly because it hurts so much um but then there were other occasions where we'd have success there was another game at Marconi Stadium probably one of the first times we played at Marconi Stadium and it had a big um camber on that ground so yeah. when you stood at one end you know you, you sort of could only see the knee of the person at the other <laughs> end of the field it was and it was massive and there were it, it sort of again sparked my interest in oh, I want to play I want to play in this sort of environment you know Regularly, as we yeah. all did and um, we beat Sydney Olympic that day and that, that was good too because we started to um, bring in other t- t- players into the um, rep team yep. in that 14-15 year bracket um, people like Sean Beattie and Stephen Smart who yep. were all um, at one stage there, we had a front three, Hully, Sean Beattie and, and Stephen Smart, who were all state runners. So we had pace to burn. And then we had people like Minio and Jason Higgs and Jamie in behind that who were um, skillful, you know. Creative players. Yeah, creative players. And then there was like myself and Mark Troth and who were probably more your, defend, your defensive-minded people. So, again, that's Ross's credit that he would be able to bring identify those people together, identify who needed to play where. And, yeah, we played some great football and it was it's still, you know, 
very proud to be part of that setup. And and the Albion Parks um, junior career as well. That you still must have you and Simon must have gone back and and added a lot of extra value by having these experiences when you played on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was. And for me, it was great because I just you could play all weekend. You know, <laughs> um, I'm not sure how it was good for mum and dad, but anyway, it was at least it was close to home. But yeah, and and a big thing for me was out of all those friendships, and certainly people like Jamie and Jason Higgs and Minia, we we don't see each other regularly, but we, we're still, you know, as soon as you cease somebody like that it's just instantaneous the connection you've got but then my my closest friends if you like are those childhood ones that where we did play with Albion Park and they've also remained lifelong friends which is you know incredibly important yeah Yeah, definitely and and that's the beauty of football like you said some of the important stuff that I see or hear in these interviews is um, the sacrifice that your parents yeah um, and I guess indirectly your sister <laughs> made and, and, and these other parents that um, allowed uh, uh, boys uh, develop into great footballers. Absolutely. In 1984, uh, you were selected in a New South Wales soccer team. Um, uh, what was this team? It wasn't schoolboy. Um, it was a representative team. And, and you played in a tournament. And what was the experience like? Yeah, so come under 13s, Onwards, there was state state teams at that yeah. time, and uh, we had we had quite a few out of that Illawarra side that was part of that state team, and that was start of start of getting to know those other Sydney based teams as well, and forming friendships with those players. But thirteens, um, I, I, I missed out. Um, Jamie Warren, Minio Bonatig, Simon Hull, Ian Paduski, I think they were the ones that got selected for that. And the following year, I. We again was asked to trial and and was lucky enough to be selected the next year. Um, so, you know that in under fourteens we travelled up to Newcastle yep. as part of that state team, and and that was again I guess in, in a sense a, another step up in terms of my journey in football to be around players that I'd played against over the last couple of years who were you know, again fantastic players. But now I'm not playing against them; I'm playing with them. In a sense that they come from different um, backgrounds as well, yeah. so we had some Greek influences there, yeah. some Italian influences, and it was just Macedonian influences. And it's like, well, I didn't really have much of that in my early career with Albion Park. It was yeah. this that English mindset. So that was really good, actually. It was you know Steve Georgiakis and um, Steve Rafines, you know that. Their parents were from completely different backgrounds to mum and dad, but we, we just got on so well because we had that you know common understanding that we're there to play football yeah. and, and we were uh, mindful and respective of the talents that each of us had and it was great to be able to play with each other instead of against each other. So that was a, a great period as well. But yeah, to stay in that state team was partic- particularly difficult because there were so many talented players at the time. You must look back on it with uh, being with pride to... To make such a, you know, any of representative teams are always hard. So you must be proud. And, and was it playing in the sky blue, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. There's some photos there of, of you know, that, and it was very professional too. There was like professional photos done and you had your blazer and grey slacks and black <laughs> shoes and everything had to be, you know, smick sort of thing. So it was like, well, I hadn't any, hadn't experienced anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, we'd rock up in our tracksuit, get your boots on and out you'd go. But... um yeah, this was like very professional, and again, I uh, it was nice to be a part of that and and learn that that culture. So, and it's something that I again wanted more of in yeah. terms of my football. Yeah. 
And before we sort of transition to your senior career and, and discuss the, the playing um, side of it, uh, what about you growing up as a boy, um, Saturday afternoons? Um, you went and watched your local team out in Park. Were, were there players or games that you can remember where you had a local local player in the Albion Park team that was someone you looked up to? Because you said you did a bit of ball boying at times. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah that, that the ball boying was more about getting the pie and cake <laughs> than, than watching players. But um, and then being able to get out there in the half time break because the nets were up and be able to smack balls into the net, you know. <laughs> so that was p- part of it. Um, so I, I wouldn't. It, it was there wasn't individual players that I, I aspired to being, but it was just the the being part of it. You know, being part of that um, senior football yep. is what I really, really wanted to do. Um, so you could see, I could, I, I can clearly recall. You know, it was tough. You know, <laughs> there was lots of flying challenges going in, and there would, there'd be, you know, there'd be your your, your odd all in brawl. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, these guys want this you know and that appealed to me a little bit not so much the all in brawls yeah, but the no, fact that they were you know committed. it was it was full on and committed that um yeah that it, it really appealed to me so those afternoons because I just lived up the road I'd be hanging out for games to be played at home so I could go down and be a part of that so every second weekend there was nothing on down the road and it was like oh shit what am I going to do you know so we'd, we'd have to go and find something else to do because there was no soccer being played Saturday afternoon and that that, yeah, that was a disappointment, you know. So, yeah, it was no individuals, just the collective. And, and I think that holds true with my football is that that's what's um, inspired me is that it's nice to be a part of a team, you know. And just a bit of an aside uh, and briefly talk uh, about junior cricket um, and, and what your opinion of it is because you've done a lot of coaching as well. Uh, was it... Do you think it was beneficial for yourself and others that you played another sport in summer and didn't just continue on with football, football, football? You had a, a great passion for cricket? Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, because I see that. I see you know, whether it's you call it burnout for want of a better term, but you know, you, you, it was great to have something else other than yeah. football, you know. So once that warmer weather hit, you know, it was great to transition into cricket, you know, and it's completely different, but completely different, but similar in that you're still part of a team. You know, and I, I met and and what, what was really pleasing about with my cricketing experience is that my coaches early early on became my teammates. You know, as I got into great cricket, yeah. and that was just loved cricket. You know, so I, I wanted to bat, I wanted to bowl, I wanted to be a part of everything. You know, and um, had some success with that, which was good too. So, and it wasn't until I got to probably eighteen or nineteen where they just crossed over too much, too much. and I had to make that you know, a guest decision um, about what I'm going to do here, you know. I chose football, and I'm glad I did, but I, I, I played cricket whenever I could, yeah. And what what were you better at? You wanted to do both batting and bowling. Were you an all-rounder? Or yeah, I, or yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I, I guess um, if I look, when I look back to some of these trophies, it's probably there's more batting awards than, cricket <laughs> than bowling awards. But, yeah, I, I like to bat. I like to open, so that I knew I was getting a bat, and then bowl whenever I could. So yeah, now it was yeah probably batting. 1986, you you transitioned into senior football, mm-hmm. and that was with the Wollongong City Wolves NSL youth team. Um, were there trials, um, and obviously you got selected. So how were you feeling at that point in time? Yeah, I, I guess so. Under 15s was sort of that transition period. Yep. We we sort of come to the back end of you know that 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 team, collective team, um, as the Illawarra rep team. 
people were going off to do other things. So Simon Harland and Sean Beattie made their decisions to leave football and go and play rugby league. So it just it's just started to break down a little bit, and I thought, well, okay, I'd, I'd received an invitation to trial, uh, and John Frew had the youth team at that yep. time. So I think, and he might be able to correct me, but um, I, I think that it was on the back of that he had a lot of success with the junior the uh, youth team of Wollongong Wolves at that time. So there was an opportunity for a couple of younger players to be part of that. So yep. Mini, Minio definitely. Jamie Warren and myself got offered the opportunity to go and be a part of that, which I jumped at, you know, because that was, again, being having the opportunity to go into that pro- more professional yeah, environment definitely. was something that really appealed to me. Um, so, yeah, I jumped at that chance, so, and away I went. And what did you think uh, getting in there? Was it at Brandon Park at that point in time, or where were you guys training? You were training. I know we were training at uh, Winuna High School. Oh, yep. Yeah, and um, doing laps around the high school and that bloody big hill at the back of the high yeah. school used to kill me. But I'm um, sure we had us doing that, so we were very fit. And we were playing, so that was Wind Stadium. Yeah, it's probably the showground. Yes, yeah, showground, the old yeah. showground, sorry. Yeah, before it became Wind Stadium. And then I, I, I was part of the Wolves set up when Brandon Park first kicked off. Yeah, it was actually was more 88 then. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was captain of the youth team at the time and I remember, clearly remember the first game being against St George at, at Brandon Park and uh, that was very exciting times as well. But, yeah, a fru- Frui was a massive influence in my career. You know, just the way that uh, he instilled a lot of confidence and gave me direction and, yeah. you know, inspired me to go on to do bigger and better things. So, yeah, he was a big influence. Do you think he had a combination of um, sort of the personality that he could do the one-on-one and team stuff but had tactical information that blended in with that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and he, he struck me as soon as I met him as someone that um, was always... Uh, pushing the envelope, you know, look, looking at identifying things that he could bring in, you know, and work on. So he, he was never one of those coaches that this is the tried and true method of how you have success. He was always, you know, trying to be one step ahead of everything and, and related to people really well. And that's stuff that, you know, really appealed to me and you know, hopefully rubbed off in my coaching as well, yeah. And obviously there was a manager and that was Neville Arrowsmith, a, a yeah. big name in the region. So yeah. to have someone of his calibre... With John, it must have been an organised team. It was, yeah, and it needed to be because we weren't very organised. Um, <laughs> I remember clearly, and it was more on more than one occasion, you know, so we're, we're talking um, late teens now, yeah. and I, um, so you got your first car and it gave you a little a sense of freedom because yeah. you can get yourself to training because 16, I had to, to get out living at Albion Park and getting out to Wanoona meant that I had to jump on a train yep. straight after school and get out there and then um, try and cobble a lift off somebody or mum more often than not would have to come out and wait for me to finish training to bring me back home again um, so that was really tough on, on mum in particular th- that, that period but once you got your first car and you could do your own thing it was like you know hallelujah but I, I remember <laughs> um, being at training my car door wouldn't open you know, very well. So I'd always put my training gear on top of my car to reef the door open. And on more than one occasion, I'd, I'd do that. I'd get in, jump in the car and t- hightail it back home, get home, reach over for my, my bag and realise that I left it on the bloody roof of the car. And there'd be an obligatory phone call from Neville because he's, he's the one that had everything organised. He'd ring mum, Sue, Jeff's done it again. I've got all his gear. It'll be there the next time he turns up. So and, and Nev was great. That's just one example. But he, he was just such a 
in a way, a father figure, but he just, you know, without doing it, he just commanded so much respect from all the players because he respected them. And they were a great combination, Frewey and, and Neville Arrowsmith, two highly credentialed, well-respected people that, you know, again, love their football. And what do you remember of that, that year at the Wolves in terms of players that you played with and, and potentially other games that you remember? Yeah, yeah we, we, we had some success and we were up against, again, you know, quality sides throughout the, throughout, um, the metropolitan Sydney area. But we always, um, I don't know, it, it felt as though Wollongong were always looked down on, you know, yep. from those Sydney sides. So it was like, you know, well, stuff you, Jack, we're here to play, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd, we'd always take it to them. Yep. Um, and and that, that gave us that, that sense of camaraderie, you know, amongst our team because it was like, you know, they're, you know, they're looking down their nose at us sort of thing. <laughs> so that, that fitted in nicely with our culture because still city and, yep. you know, but we, we could play at the same time. So, yeah, we, we'd come up against some quality teams. There'd often be first-grade players that had come back down, so you were getting influenced by that as well, you know. And I was very young at the time, so, you know, there was always that uh, physicality part of it that you were trying to negotiate around, but you'd have to use your pace and you'd have to think quicker. Um, so that was all the great challenges, you know. And you were playing in the back line at that point? Or sort yeah, of pretty much. off the bench and playing yeah. in the back line? Yeah, yeah. I established myself at the back, you know, um, and then getting forward where I could and liked being able to, having the freedom, and Frewy encouraged this as well, but, you know, in terms of, you know, taking people on and, yep. and, and bringing, bringing yourself into midfield and, and further forward where you can. So that was all fitted in nicely with how I wanted to play. And what about playing at the showground? How did you find that? Yeah, it was good. It was yeah, it was excellent. You know, did it still have the the, the dog, dog track? track yeah, it? it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was again like um, stadiums like Marconi Stadium. It was just you know that that aura that those fields had. You know, yeah. and it was the same with Brandon Park when that first kicked off. You know, you had the big stadium there yeah, and the, the the hill all the way around the th- the three other Besides, aspects of yeah. the ground. It was just that was a quality quality set up there at Brandon Park. I'm sorry we lost that. You yeah, know, no, we've as a spoken to, to a, a couple of people on this podcast and obviously privately I think uh, most of the Illawarra are extremely disappointed yeah. is a, a nice way of putting it. <laughs> uh, 87, um, you then um, uh, obviously before we talk you moved to Wollongong, Macedonia. Um, in 86 you had a, a, a thing, a term or a movement called the Big Brother Movement in mm-hmm. Sydney. Can you explain to the listener... Um, what this movement was about and, and what eventuated out yeah. of it. It was a scholarship set up um, and it was called the Big Brother Movement. So I think it was a, um, a group of businessmen that um, set aside scholarships for teenagers to go over and experience the English professional, pre- professional league. league. But part of that scholarship was to go out and have that experience but to bring those learnings and experience back to Australia and engage back in the Australian football community. So it wasn't just football, it was other, other sports, as, sports well. as well. But, um, you know, we, uh, football obviously was what we applied for. And, and, and again, John Frew helped with that application, so he'd help get all my application together. And, yep. and Jamie Warren applied at the same time, so I was blessed to get selected along with Jamie and we, we went together. And it was identified that we would go to Manchester United wow. as a 16-year-old. So we arrived, I think it was the 6th of November, 1986, yep. okay, um, the two of us on a plane. <laughs> and here we are, we just landed on a, on a doorstep. It took 
so we we got in at Gatwick Airport in the morning. Took us all day to get on the train and get up to Manchester to find an address that we had in riding. <laughs> and we ended up staying. Well, we stayed in digs just around the corner from the then training ground, the Cliff yeah. Training Ground. So we were just around the corner with um, three other uh, young professionals yep. that were from North, one from Northern Ireland, one from the Republic of Ireland, and a couple. Oh, there was four actually, and two from uh, one was from Leeds and another part of England. Um, so I just became great friends with those because they sort of looked after us. Yeah. You know that they would <laughs> take the piss out of us at every opportunity, but they also looked after us too. So <laughs> um, we were there for uh, eight weeks from November through to the end of December. Um, And we were training with the first grade side. But clearly the thing that I remember most was we we arrived on the Sunday. We were due to meet Ron Atkinson, the first grade manager, during the week. But that was the week that he was sacked and Alex Ferguson was appointed. So Jamie and I were actually um, part of his first training session. Wow, that's amazing. um, And were there, you know, throughout that first period with Alex Ferguson in charge. And so you, you you would train in the morning, you would um, have lunch at the ground. You, you might have an hour or so off, but then you'd train again in the afternoon and that was it, you know. Or, or you'd, you'd have your duties as a, um, a, a young professional, cleaning boots and cleaning the ground and all, all sorts of stuff. It was like, oh, wow. But it was all, you know, starry-eyed stuff because you got the opportunity to train alongside Brian Robson and Jesper Olsen and um, Gordon Strachan. It was Paul McGrath. Um, you know all these names that were just you just bump into all the time and be training with on a daily basis. So that was so exciting. You know, it was great. And what about that experience? It must have. I guess you didn't need a plane to get over there. You would have been floating on air <laughs> anyway. You and Jamie to yeah. first get picked to go over. So it must have been amazing to then train with United and. And then see all these players that you've probably seen in the newspapers or on the TV before going over. Yeah, yeah, it was good, and and they, they were particularly interested because we, we, you know, what are you doing here? Firstly, <laughs> but you're from Australia, and they wanted to know a lot about Australia. So you would, you would, there would be lots of conversations around. They wanted to know about Australia and Australian football and all that sort of thing as much as we wanted to just hang off their shirt tails. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Um, some were standoffish, others were related to you well, you know, you, you, and you'd have other young players that were there that didn't want you there, so they'd be out to kick you off the park whenever they could, yeah. and you had to deal with all that. And it was great that the, there was two of us there, so we, Jamie and I would make sure that we'd look after each other and stayed yeah. particularly close, you know, um, but it was good to have him there. Um, and, you know, it was just a massive experience, you know, um, and one that, you know... I'm really proud to have got the opportunity to be able to do, you know. Um, and Alex Ferguson, you know, he, he's gone on to do such wonderful things, but you could see just, just the minute that he walked in the door, you, you know, the, the professionalism that he brought and bringing everyone into line and then bringing on young players as well. Um, you know, he's no doubt, you know, master coach. And what about yourself on the pitch? Uh, how did you go? Uh, was it a real reality check early on? and yeah. Or did you have to then step up to sort of match what was out there? Yeah, we absolutely had to step up. You know, Our first training session was what, a 12-minute run. and we, we did, we, Like 12 hours ago, we, we just got off the plane sort of thing. So we <laughs> were banged straight into it, you know. Um, but it was just, it was, it was tough. It was cold. It was dreary. 
but um, we just wanted to be there and be a part of it, which was good. Um, so there was obviously the first team, and we're nowhere near that. There was a reserve grade a reserve team, yeah. and some of the boys that we were staying with were in, in amongst the reserve grade side. There was then an A team and a B team. So okay. we managed to get into and play in some of the B team games. Yeah. Um, and as part of the scholarship, as part of what we did over there, we actually went from Manchester United and then spent the last three or four weeks of the scholarship period in uh, with Burnley. Okay. Uh, and so we, we moved um, and stayed with a, a, a family in Burnley who were lovely. Um, but Burnley at that stage were in the fourth division yeah. and it were, that was very tough. Um, <laughs> but they actually wanted to... Um, spoke to me about going back and I sort of at the time when I was there it was a very good idea um, and we actually got the opportunity to play against Manchester United as one of the in, in the, their A team yep. against the, the A team for Manchester United back at the cliff ground and I remember having a pretty good game against them and playing against some of the boys that I'd stayed with <laughs> so I really wanted to you know, um, impress and do well and, and it was on the back of that that the Burnley people you know, were, were um, keen on me coming back and at that time I thought yeah that, that sounded good but once I got back home to Australia I was straight back into the summer and the cricket season in the, <laughs> back into the January and so no no this is this is my home you know <laughs> so yeah that sort of went out the door pretty quickly. And no regrets there because um, obviously you and Jamie got a taste of you know two different tiers yeah. of English football the top tier and then the mm-hmm. fourth tier so did you think do you look back on it and go well what could have been if I'd made that decision? Uh, yeah, so sometimes, you know, yeah. in, but not, not often. I, I know I made the right decision. But I, part of that was um, in that state team in under-14s and, and after that with Alan Vest in 16 and 17, 18 sort of time period, Mark Bosnich was one of our goalkeepers. He was actually the second goalkeeper to John Fyland. They were the two yeah. goalkeepers. Um, so, you know, I got to know them quite well because they actually, I, I roomed with them quite often when we were away at training yeah. camps um, and and Bozer in particular he was just a machine you know where we were just lying down and having fun getting geared up for the next training session he was doing extras on the side you know reverse sit-ups and all sorts of stuff because he was just so focused, focused. and dedicated and, he, and so during all that period where I thought you know maybe I could go back or I want to go back um, Mark was actually doing those experiences yeah. and you know, to see him do so well was like, oh well, maybe that could have been. You know, you don't, you know, what might have been. Yeah. But um, no, no I, I, generally speaking, I have no regrets because you know, once I got back to Australia, the decision was made for me that I would be staying here. Yeah. And for yourself, um, that '87, uh, you then joined Wollongong Macedonia mm-hmm. in first grade. Yeah. Um, you know, a 17-year-old or, or turning 17. Um, why did you leave the Wolves, and and how did this year go for you? Yeah, it was, it was the opportunity to play first grade, and 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 uh, John Frew had been appointed as coach, so myself and Minio, and I think Jamie as well went went across to Wollongong Macedonia and try to establish yourselves as first grade footballers. Yeah. So. You know, and as a seventeen-year-old, that was quite daunting because you're playing with against, against and with men, you know. Um, and it, that were tough times too because there was no. You're talking about a period now where there was no, 
you know, there's no give or take. You know, you, you're there because you deserve to be. If you're not good enough, then out, out you go sort of thing. There was no mucking around, you know, or being brought on sort of thing. As you know, So you had to be pretty resilient and just take the knocks and get on with it. So, yeah, I did play a fair bit of first grade that year, which was good, but unfortunately the, the team didn't do terribly well. And towards the back end of the or mid-season, towards the back end of the year, they actually sacked Fruey, um, which was really disappointing, but... I stayed on. Peter Willis was appointed as, I think, the captain coach for the remainder of the year, and he, he continued to give me some opportunities to play first grade during that year, which I think served me well moving forward um, because it got me used to senior football at an early age. But, yeah, I felt terribly disappointed for, for John Frew and felt as though, I'm sure he doesn't feel the same way, I didn't feel as though I let him down, you know, because he did give me all those opportunities at that time, yeah. And could you see the difference um, from his perspective in how he coached once there was pressure versus, say, there would have been, I guess, pressure as a youth grade coach in the NSL, however you're developing yeah. players, whereas now there was the cutthroat sort of business in state league here of we need to win games, we're here to win. So exactly. could you see that difference in Yeah, him? definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not so much him yeah. because um, he stayed true to his values as, as the man that he is. But um, certainly in the football environment generally, yeah, it was now no longer about you know developing and and you, you you were there to do a job and if you didn't do a job you're out the door so that mentality shifted remarkably but that was part of my learning as well you know you, you're there to win you say so get yourself ready and go it's not like you know don't worry if you don't have a good game you don't have a good game then you're out the door sort of thing so you know that's all part of the football journey as well and, and what about some of the other players you know you're playing with the likes of Paul Duraudy, uh Zlatko yeah. Konchevsky Phil Kerr yep um, Brian Brown, Andy Campbell, um, yeah, yeah. Tommy Milankowski, uh, Peter Ruskin. So how was it uh, joining um, for the first time a, a group of men and, and sort of training and being around them? Yeah, it was good. It was great. You know, And then some of those names bring back a lot of memories because you know, there's some quality footballers amongst that group. Yeah. Um, Phil Mulbell was another one. Yep. who One of those players, and you sort of... I don't know how you, you, you have them. David Skeen was another one at, at a certain period of time where they just sort of... You know, you remember those because they sort of looked out for you a little bit, you know. Um, so, yeah, that f- f- Rusko was a great player. Um, but it was about, I, I had to, I, I guess in in that era of my football, you know, I wasn't, there was nothing of me sort of thing, but I had some pace and I really had to use that pace. So that was important that I did that, yeah, to, to stay ahead of people as much as I could, yeah. So you were playing with Wollongong Macedonia, but like you said, uh, running concurrently in that year, you were playing with New South Wales mm-hmm. um, and playing schoolboys as well and, and representing football. And in that year, you were selected in the Australian schoolboys side that toured China and Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like in terms of um, other cultures, the games you played, other players that yeah. you were playing with? Yeah, that, that whole um, schoolboys football was a really great experience again because it, it, it gave you the opportunity to um, travel um, and, like you say, experience different cultures. I was lucky enough to make the New South Wales schoolboys team, which I joined up with at the back end of the um, scholarship to Manchester United and yeah. Burnley. So Jamie came home just after Christmas and I stayed on to link up with the New South Wales schoolboys team and we toured West Germany oh, wow. and East Germany. And that, that was a great experience as well um, at the start of, back end of 86, start of 87. And then at the end, the next year, I was lucky enough to make the Australian schoolboys team. 
and that's where we travelled to to Hong Kong and China at the back end of '87. So, yeah, very different culture. We played against the Hong Kong national schoolboys team. We toured the southern part of China, went into yeah. China and stayed in Guangzhou uh, and played against that that province. That, that province. Um, and just a completely different footballing mentality and how they played the game, which again was you know, great because it was a, a different challenge again and a different culture. Um, so that was a great experience. And I played alongside people like Carl Viet, um, yeah. who's I think now been appointed coach uh, Adelaide. in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah, so he's kicked on and done great things. Um, Milan Blagojevic at the time was probably... I got on really well with Milan, but he was just such a quality player, probably one of the best players technically that I had the opportunity to play with and against. Um, and I believe he's coaching and doing things as well, which is great to see. So there were a couple of names and people that I got on quite well with, yeah. And for yourself, um, how did you find playing football against West Germans and the Chinese and the Hong Kong? Yeah, yeah, it was massive. It was just... Uh, yeah, such such a great opportunity to to have those experiences against different cultures. Um, we stayed um, was and, and in those days, I'm not sure if it happens so much now, but you're billeted with families, yeah. so added to it. Yeah, absolutely added to it because I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm staying with a <laughs> just was you know, knock on their front door and say, "Here you go, you're staying with this family." I'm like, <laughs> they don't even speak English, you know. So we would just find a way to communicate with each other and the the, the connectivity was football you yeah. know so that just brought us together and so it didn't matter that we couldn't really speak to each other because we come from different languages we you'd find a way you know and and had some really happy times and some great memories of, of those experiences for sure 88 um you went back to the Wollongong Wolves in the NSL um how did that move come about? Yeah, it was uh, it was there. John Fleming was there at the time, yep. first grade coach, and Daryl Glover took over. He became the youth team coach, and Glenn Fontana in a period of time as well. So they were the key people that I can recall. Yep. They were part of that transition back to the Wolves. Um, and at 18, I sort of had a taste for first grade football with Wollongong Macedonia, which I was very appreciative for. Um, but I felt as though, even though I was still young, that I was ready to, you know play at the highest level I possibly could and so some of the best advice I ever got was you know you, you need to play at the highest level you can for as long as you can okay. and that's sort of held true um, throughout my football career you know so the highest level I could was with, with Wollongong City Wolves so that that was what I want needed to do that's what I wanted to do and um, John Fleming came and talked to me about coming back and it's like yeah now that's what I, I want to do so I got to be part of the first grade squad over that period of time which yeah. was great um very difficult though to cement a spot in that side just with the the quality that was there at the time. You know, yeah, it was difficult. Well, like I said, <laughs> as part of the the toing and froing of me and you uh, emailing each other, and and sometimes you you're going through three decades like we are with you that um, you don't uh, memorise everything straight away. But um, when I asked you the question, it was a bit silly of me to say, well, uh, why didn't you play more games? But then when you sort of said the the back four that you were up against, it was a highly credentialed back four. Yeah. So tell the listener of who you were competing with to uh, try and get into the first grade team. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, um, I mean, they, they were great players you know, back in those days, but there were some local players that established themselves well as well, you know, Jock Melando, Ray Valestra, yeah. um, David Skeen. Uh, later on, David Green came back from St George yeah. because he'd gone away 
because he couldn't get in, but he'd done so well at St George and then came back home, in a sense, and established himself in that back four. And then Mike Hollifield came yeah. across from England and yeah, the best left foot I've ever seen. So here am I, you know, spending my time trying to <laughs> develop my left foot and this guy could ping balls 70 metres, you know. Um, it, he, he was quality. So, that yeah, very strong back four. And, and again, you know... If, if that was their spot, they weren't giving it up for anybody, you know what I mean? So I, I'd get in there and be amongst it, but, um, yeah, very difficult to, to establish yourself in above those quality players, yeah. And already in your career up until that point, you'd had a few mental challenges, like you said, in representative football and, and even going overseas, sort of stretching the mindset and about where you play and cultures and whatnot. So was this another learning curve to say well I've got to keep fighting for my position even though you would have been playing youth team football yep. and you wanted first team football it was just another I guess learning curve for you yeah, it was yeah yeah but it was it was still a, a really good environment to be in because um there was that period of time where Harry Michaels came yeah. in as a promoter of the club and so that yeah, they were looking to do big things so I got to train alongside people like Alan Brazil and Trevor yeah. Francis who were brought over, you know, it's like, wow, look at these guys, you know, and you'd learn so much, not from just, just, just by, you know, the way they trained and the way they carried themselves and trying to get the ball off them in training sessions was just nigh on impossible, just <laughs> the quality that they possessed, you know. So that was all great. Um, so, yeah, the environment was really good. We had some good youth team players and products coming through as well. Um, so it was, it was good to be a part of all that. And what about John as a coach? Um, how did you find him? Yeah, he, he was really good. He, he, very structured and organised and brought me back to that English mentality around, you know, high, highly organised at the back. You know, you, you, could, you give nothing away. You start yeah. at nil all and that, that's your base point and we stay that way, you know what I mean? So there was a really inf- influence, oh, a real, yeah, mindset around giving nothing away and then working from there. So... Yeah. You know, it was very much four four two. You know, you'd have your strikers up top and your wingers getting crosses in and getting in the ball into the boxes often and as quickly as you could. So yeah, that was the way we played. And and what about Daryl Glover as a as a youth team coach? Yeah, yeah, Dar- Daryl was a really good positive influence on a lot of young players. You know, um, he 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 had that uh, Premier League background as well. You know, he was a goalkeeper during that period yeah. of time, but. You know, he, he brought a lot of young players through and, and worked quite well over that period of time as well. And for yourself, um, you're playing youth team football, but um, in 88, the team won the league, mm-hmm. um, the first team did. So it must have been a, a sort of great period of being at the club and, and you're part of the squad. Yeah. So it must have been a, a huge year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember being at Sydney, Croatia. They had to get a result against Croatia, which they did. But they had to wait on the Adelaide result, you know. So we, we were all in the dressing room waiting for someone to be able to find out what the score was. So no, it wasn't no as, mobile phones around. No, nah, it wasn't as point. instantaneous as it is now. So there was a fair period of time where we were waiting around. We, we'd done what the, the team had done what they had to do um, against a quality side, Croatia, at that yeah. time, you know. Uh, and then they got the result through and they'd, they'd won the league, which was just massive, you know. So to, to see them do that and be a part of that and feel as though you were a part of that was great, yeah. And, and what about some of the um, other players in the team? Because there was Kotamanides, um, Eastthorpe, Brodnick, um, <laughs> Stefanovski there. So how were some of these other guys? Yeah, they were, they were good. You know, and, and 
Pat Brodnick was one out of the box. You know, um, he, he could score goals at will. And well, as, as I mentioned, that four-four-two sort of setup, you know, served that, those two really well because two big burly strikers with some pace and Randall Randall Eastlop, who was really, you know, elbows everywhere sort of thing. <laughs> but um, that they just worked so well and complemented each other. Um, and and Rady, obviously on, on either side, but he a great crosser of the ball. And then you'd have your back four that just gave nothing away and a hard-working midfield. And it was a, a formula that obviously worked really well. Yeah. And you had uh, David Ratcliffe in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then at a point in time while in this period, he'd taken over from John. Yep. So I think there might have been an interim coach there for a few games. I, I forget the gentleman's name. Doug but, Collins was there yeah, for a little bit, the, yeah. So um, for you, was, it, was there a potential change in, in getting through or was that still... A hard task in front of the the people that were there. Yeah, it was always a hard task, but yeah, you know, David uh, he was a quality player too. He's one of the the hardest centre backs that I think I've ever come across, you know. <laughs> and a, a great opportunity to play with him. There was a period there where we summer soccer, I think, was being introduced. So yeah. there was an in between sort of season yeah, where David gave the likes of myself. And, and those younger players, a lot of opportunity leading up to the, the yep. introduction of the summer football. And I felt as though I was doing really well there. But then, again, trying to establish yourself in that first grade side became quite a challenge. But, yeah, now he, he, he gave a lot of young players opportunities at the same time, um, as well as being able to, because of his reputation, to, to bring players in where he needed to. So, yeah, he, he brought a lot of success to the club as well over his period of time here. And so was there anything, um, any sort of uh, either funny incidences or, or ones where, you know, he's sort of blown up that you can recall or him or John where they've just... Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, they were just hard-nosed, hard-nosed people, both of them. That, that They shared that mentality for sure. But, um, yeah, play, playing with David was, was interesting because he, he seemed to be so calm, but then all of a sudden he would just go through somebody just like that, you know, um, <laughs> and think nothing of it. So you know, I yeah, I I sort of admired that at the same time because we were sort of similar. That you know, we were, I guess our starting point was defending. You know what yeah. I mean? So you know, we had a lot of similar similarities that way. But yeah, no, they um, they demanded the demanded the the best out of people for sure, and they often got that. And did you ever get cooked by both of them in a sort of halftime spray or? Or a training or whatnot? Yeah, training particularly. Yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd let you know, you know, if you're holding on to the ball too long, um, then it wasn't so much what they said, it's what they did to you that, <laughs> that sort of sparked you up and made you um, be that little bit quicker the next time. Definitely. So John was still uh, training with the... the a little bit, yeah. Yep. Not so much John, but definitely David. David. Yeah, yeah. And for yourself, um, you had sort of 88 to 91 there. And yeah. And there was sort of like like you said, four seasons within that. Yep. Um, although you probably didn't get the opportunities that you you might have liked, you're still immensely proud looking back on it that you A, you stuck it out and B, you kept turning up to sort of apply yourself and learn. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it was a good time to be around the club too because they, they had some success. It was, um, yeah. you know, along with the Illawarra Hawks and the Steelers at that time, that the yeah. sport was really big, you know, in, in Wollongong through through that period. And it was a national a national competition, yeah. you know. So it was just, yeah, it was great to be a part of that, definitely. Looking back, you know, it, if I was good enough, I would have got more opportunities. So I've got yeah. no one to blame other yeah. than... There's no blame associated with it. But, you know, sometimes the moments happen for a reason and I just, you know, tried to be the best that I could be throughout that period. 
And like you said, I think early on in the interview, you spoke about uh, the club at that point in time did move to Brandon Park. So you're part of the opening of, yeah. of this this stadium, yeah. um, even though it was called Brandon Park. So that must have been a, a great sort of milestone to be a part of. What what can you recall about that? Yeah, it was. It was just everything was new about it, you know, and, and just the potential that it had. Yep. This vast expanse of area with this massive stadium on the western side. It was just... And I remember playing in games, you know, we, you get that southerly howling through, you know, and <laughs> we played against Sydney Olympic one night and, you know, it ended up being nil all, but the closest we got to scoring was George Bahutsis, who was in goals, just kicking the ball out of his hands and it's just going over the crossbar down the <laughs> other end. So you have those moments, but, um, yeah, it was, it, yeah, and the training fields out the back, it was just, it just had so much going for it. And, you know, I guess being a part of that, being part of how it was established, um, I'm being working and again mum and dad were involved in that working when they had that rock concert yeah. at, at the at Brandon Park and Midnight Oil who were one of my favorite <laughs> bands were playing there but you know it was about being a part of the club and helping the club have established that uh, success yeah and as well as that you're part of the NSL and 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 come with it you know the the media the SBSs yeah. um, and yeah. even the Illawarra Mercury Phil Murphy and the yeah, like Phil, back yeah. then some great coverage of, of the sport Absolutely. so um that must have been sort of add a bit of uh, i guess glamour to to being part of that yeah definitely yeah yeah and before i don't know if i've got it right or wrong and and if, if i've got it wrong i'll cut it out and no one else <laughs> will hear it but uh, were you part of um a sort of advertisement with bhp where you were kicking the ball yeah yeah. Was that you? And, yeah. And yeah what did uh, your mates and your family think of that when they came out because it was in the sort of soccer magazines at the time, the NSL yeah, magazines yeah. and whatnot, and, and you were sort of hitting a ball at a training session with that. the BHP strip Exactly, on. yeah, we were. And, and, and David Ratcliffe was part of that as well. And again, it was one of those windy days at Brandon Park, so I was blowing yeah. a gale, and they just had us out there, you know, not knocking balls into into space sort of yeah. thing to take all these photos and what have you. But, um, yeah, that was, again, you know, part of that, I don't know, part of the uh, culture of how it was and <laughs> how, how things were at that time. Yeah, it was good. Before we finish that 88 to 91 period, Jeff, uh, there was a period in those years where you were in the uh, initial train-on squad for, for the young Socceroos. Uh, what do you recall about this experience? Um, uh, you didn't make the final cut, but it must have been great to be part of the selection process, the coaching, the train-on squads. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I had, I'd got back into the state setup. Um, through Alan Vest, who was yep. the, the the state coach, so there was sort of, there was the the Institute of Sport in Canberra was kicking off, yep. but this was sort of the next tier. So yep. state based New South Wales had out of Park Lee was up and running. Yep. So we would do a lot of have a lot of training camps as the New South Wales teams um, under Alan Vest's guidance up at Park Lee. So I would spend weeks at a time training in in, in that environment with Alan and. When the state team come together, you play in the national championships, and out of that, there'd be a squad selected to go into camp for the young Socceroos. Yeah. And I managed to to come out of that national championships um, and be selected in that train on squad, which you know I thought, wow, that's uh, again next level sort of thing. Yeah. So you know that that all played out, and, and then there was a series of training camps um, as part of that group. Um, and so that started off a squad of 30 and then eventually they got whittled down to the final squad. So I was, I was there throughout those um, training camps and still part of it. I was trying to establish myself in first grade with the Wolves at that, at that yeah. time. Les Scheinflug was a national coach who uh, 
and um, Raul Blanco was his yeah. assistant. So I was there or thereabouts, but I was competing with um, in that squad of players as 17, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds that were um, playing first grade NSL. NSL. So I think that sort of tipped the balance in their way that they, they that has already established themselves and I was still trying to do that. But you know, I, I genuinely think that you know I felt as though I was good enough to crack yeah. that 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 squad. Um, but that's part of football. You know, I gave it a good go. I just started work at that time with in the public service with the Department of Education. So my first few weeks of work, I actually had to apply for leave without pay to be able to stay part of the training camps, um, and that, that that was pretty that was frowned upon. But because it was a, a national. Uh, we, we, you know, the Football Federation Australia, Australia called something different called then, then yeah. um, wrote to um, the Department of Education and they allowed me to go take time off, even though I just started work to participate in the training camps. So I gave it a go. Um, <laughs> I, fa- I found out that I didn't make it um, in, in a newspaper article where, that, where they'd selected the team and I wasn't part of it. So I later got a letter, um, but yeah, I went, I went very close, yeah. And, and what about um, Les and, and Raul? Um, how did you find them? Yeah. Any experiences you can share with the listeners? Yeah, that, that, they were... Uh, they fed, fed off each other nicely. Les Scheinflug, you had to refer to him as the boss. Okay. You know? And that was the time where I sort of developed that relationship with Mark Bosnich and Johnny yeah. Filan because they were the goalkeepers that were competing for, to be part of that squad as well. Um, and I roomed with them throughout that period. So... And those goalkeepers trained a hell of a lot harder than what we did. <laughs> they, they, they were unbelievable, but, um, but we still, you know, it was still pretty intense. And you know, I, I was attracted to the way in which Les wanted us to play because, again, that was tactically something that I hadn't experienced before. Yep. So it was a move away from what was very structured four four two with the Wolves to getting full backs forward and overlapping yep. and midfield rotations and all this sort of thing. I'm like, Wait, where's this? What's this all about? You know. <laughs> so again, it was part of that learning, which was great to be a part of. Yeah. And even in that period. Um, your dedication and discipline was, like you said, you took leave without pay, mm. um, which wasn't, you know, frowned it was frowned upon by the employer. But you also um, had a had a birthday party that your own birthday party that you potentially missed out on. Yeah, I you did. did. Yeah, I did. It was my eighteenth birthday party, so it was the back end of the national championships, and we knew that was going to finish. So um, it finished on the Saturday, and Mum and Dad had organised this party on the Saturday night. So they had a tent in the backyard, and all my friends and. Uh, there's probably 50, 60 people at home and I was due to come back and have the party but I'd been selected and I was told I had to stay in camp so I couldn't go home. I had to stay on for the next week so <laughs> I just had to ring mum and dad and say, no, I'm not coming home, I can't. <laughs> you know, I've been selected to train on with the young Socceroos. Oh, that's great. Um, but what about this party? I'm like, well, I can't, I can't make it. Um, so oh, it's okay, we'll just have it without you. So they did. So they ended up having a great night from all reports. You know, everyone was there. I got on the, was able to get on the phone and talk to a few people. And, but, yeah, they were having a great time while I was laid up in bed, not knowing what was going to happen over the next week, you know, with the with this <laughs> training camp. But anyway, all good. I missed out on my 18th birthday. <laughs> oh, crazy. The next move uh, I found curious, but then when I put it into the context of, I guess, your age, um, you're becoming... You're training yourself in terms of vocation, um, relationship with your with your partner. So was that part of your decision to then go to Wollongong, Serbia, and not sort of maybe try go back to state league? 
Yeah, Because yeah, you went was. to Wollongong, Serbia, who were in the uh, Illawarra Premier League. Yeah, that's right. And that was uh, 92, that yeah. was. So I was 22. I'd, um, work-wise, I had a, I, was, I worked in Sydney to start with. So I was travelling on the train up to Sydney, then back, and then going to training. So that, that was, it took a, yeah. I wasn't getting home till 8, 9 o'clock at night, then getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go back to Sydney for work, <laughs> to be there at 7.30 so I could get, get away to come back to training. So... That was all tough. I'd, I'd managed to secure a job back down in Wollongong, which was great. Uh, it meant, and I wanted to further my studies yep. um, in human resources, so I was able to do that. So all the connections I had um, was was back in Wollongong, and I just felt as though it had been three, four, five years of travelling lots where I just wanted to base myself in Wollongong. Uh, so the opportunity to come back, the Premier League had always been there and was yeah. a sort of an attraction. A sort of, I guess in the back of my mind, I was always going to end up there, I think, so, yeah. or sooner rather than later. Zivko Rostovsky, who was one of those guys at the Wolves yeah. who uh, had a, relationship, a good relationship with, a great guy, hard guy on the <laughs> field, but, you know... Um, Along with David Skeen, just a really nice bloke, you know, who was one of those guys that looked out for me as well. Um, he got appointed to Serbia. I thought, well, here's an opportunity to go with him and see how we go, you know. So we did that. Yeah, yeah, because you you played with uh, the likes of Stephen Baggett, Graham Cook, I think was in goals, yeah, Nova Cookie. Bondalo, yep. um, who you would have known of at time during the Wolves, Darren Jones, Steve Krishna, um, Lewis Carino, um, Scott Morris. So, um, uh, what do you recall of that year? Yeah, look, uh, if you look back at the the table, it wasn't a very good year, and and, and, and I know why, okay, because there were some quite, there's some quality names there, and, and on paper we should have done really well, you know. So that was part of the attraction of going there. But um, so we played out of Herb Clunas over, yeah. you know, um, Wollongong White Eagles, I think yeah. they were called Wollongong Serbia then. Yeah. Sorry, um, so we, we would we would go to the North Gong Hotel, you know, say 12 o'clock and have this massive spread. I clearly remember, you know, and so you'd have like a buffet sort of situation where you could have whatever you want to eat, you know. Um, everything was laid out for you. Then you'd just rock up to the game and play. So you'd look around the dressing room and, 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 and at training and stuff and you'd see all these plays and you think, oh, we're just going to romp this in, you know. But um, little did we know, or did I know, but I learned quickly that the Premier League was a tough competition, you know. And... Um, so we just went in there thinking we were we were going to you know walk it was going to be a walk in the park, you know for some of us coming from you know a, get in a sense a higher level, level of football, yeah. well, we got smashed. You know we ended up I think coming last and um, you know we just couldn't get going at all during the season, um, and that that you know that I didn't like that at all. You know um, and. Neither did Zivko, uh, and, and during that season, Eric Thompson came on board, yep. and, and to I guess work with Zivko, and they became really a good combination. Yep. So at the back end of that year, when that obviously didn't work out very well, um, the decision was made by those um, to go across to Cringilla um, and and link up there. So it was sort of yeah, well, I've got to do something about getting this season done and dusted, and you know, being um, more devoted and having an understanding of what this Premier League business is about, about and go on and apply yourself a hell of a lot more than what you did this year, you know. So that opportunity came, same with Steve Krishna. So we went and we said, no, we're going to give this a go. And so we, our pre-season was a punish, you know, because we had to get fit. We wanted yeah. to get fit. We wanted to we wanted to show people that you know, we could play. Um, and then, yeah, we, we took it upon ourselves to give it a really 
good go at Cringilla, which we did. Pre-season in 93 with Cringilla, you know, you had a, a point to prove and I guess Zivko and, and Stephen Krishna did as well um, and, and Cringilla were, you know, on the verge of something. Um, at that point in time, that pre-season, um, you're probably immersing yourself with, I guess, a new coach in Eric, um, new players, but could you see the, the talent amongst the squad? Yeah, really early on. Yeah, there, there was a core group of um, players that were already at Cringilla, uh, and it was an opportunity to reconnect with Jason Higgs, who yeah. was already there. Uh, Itsko Adnasowski was there, Bobby Tupancheski, Norm Jojeski. So there was that, that group um, already established at the club, and then there, there was us that came in. And it was almost, I don't know, it just felt as though, looking back on it now, you got a sense that, something was good here of course we were all there for the right reasons you know yeah. we, we all wanted to do well we had points to prove and and just the collective was there and I think um having Eric and and Zivko pushed us really hard too because he he, he wanted to prove points as well you know what I mean and um uh, he was very very good and disciplined throughout that period so he was the main driver if you like and and Eric just oversaw you know yeah. how how we developed and how we came together so so it's a bit of a different approach compared to your normal I guess suburban soccer at that point in time where you had a coach whereas here you had Eric sort of being the manager and then yep. on the training field even though Zifko was playing he was then the sort of two IC. Yep. Yeah absolutely yeah yeah and we, and we played a different style to most other teams uh, we, we played with three at the back yep. four in midfield and three up top and and the three up top for, for how it eventuated we ended up with Steve Krishna Graham Lovett yep. and, and Matt Horsley yeah. um, who we who came across as well and that I mean that yeah, Matt, Matt, obviously quite a distinguished player and done so well, but he just fitted in and blended in so nicely to what what Steve and, and Graham Lovett provided as yep. threats going forward. So it just had a great balance about it. And, and on the on the back of, you know, the um, the willingness to want to succeed, it was just a really, really good fit um, at that time, yeah. And starting at the back with with Cradging goals, yes, uh, yeah. can you sort of go through the, that rough lineup in that in that format and where people play? Yeah, um, so yeah, Cradge, you know, no doubt the best goalkeeper in the league, so that gave us confidence. You had Bobby, who was, I guess, coming towards the back end of his career, he would be the sweeper. Yep. You'd have um, Itsko and Normie, yep. man marking jobs basically with Bobby yep. in behind. Myself and Jason Higgs, part of that four-man midfield. Yep. Um, and then you have Zivko in the middle of that with uh, Luby Teleski, who was yeah. a quality player. Um, and, and they related really well to one another. And then, of course, that front three up top. you know. And then, then the real key, I think, so that's, I, I guess, the broad strokes, the, the, the 11. Yeah. The, the success came about from players 12, 13, 14 and 15. And, and, and Eric's understanding of how, how they would come in and out of that team. Um, because that 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 gave us success, yeah. Because we're sort of talking uh, like folks like uh, John Simonovsky, yep, yep. Um, that would come in yep. off there, and so yeah, Dushkash Skutevsky yeah. was another local player, that, and so they're coming off. Uh, Phil Saunders was well, in and probably about first graders in their own right. Yeah, um, yes, yeah exactly. Come into that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Robbie Davies was part of that yeah. as well. Yeah. So for yourself, um, could you imagine during the year? that at the end you'd won every trophy on offer. Mm -hmm. uh, how was the feeling amongst the club and, and what are the sort of games that you recall that sort of are vivid yeah. in mind? Look, I think that it was, you could see it building you know, and the club could see it building as yep. too. So there was a lot of um, what uh, positivity, positivity yep. around the club. Cringilla was also starting to um, 
I guess it was before the clubhouse was built, yeah. you know what I mean? So all that was coming together off the field at the same time as they were having success on the field. So it was a great environment to be around, you know, because there was just so much happening. Um, and you could see being a part of that, that, that sort of team, you know, you, you just... And without being arrogant, um, which is, I think, the case in 92 with Serbia, where we were yeah. just arrogant, there, there, there was the right the right culture being built on the back of a lot of hard work. So, and, and that just meant that um, a lot of the time we just knew we were going to win, you know. So even like uh, we played Fern Hill, I think it was in the Bampton Cup somewhere yeah. along the line on a rainy day. You know, we weren't travelling too well. We came in at half time. We just knew we had to be better and we just would go out in the second half and we just took it to them, you know. And we knew we had that in us. There was extra yeah. gears, you know. And with the front three, like I mentioned before, you just knew that uh, we just need to get the ball to them and at some point in time we'll break them down and that's what happened yeah, yeah. and uh, i guess for the people and and there are a few um that listen outside the illawarra you know cringilla was a, a macedonian based club based in a, a working class area yeah. and um the crowds there at that point in time because um, it, it was near the steelworks cringilla is a suburb based near there so there were good crowds coming to not just the cringilla fans but you know your wollongong olympics yeah your Conistons or whatever, there was some, some big games, wasn't there? Massive, yeah, particularly the Coniston Derby. Cradilla yeah. Coniston Derby was huge, uh, Olympic at the same time. But, yeah, you, you got and you got a real sense of it when you were driving to the ground because there was, locally, people would just come from everywhere and just yeah. w- walk into the ground. And it, it's got a great feel about it, the Cradilla ground, yeah. because you can sit up above and look down on the game, you know, in, in vast areas of the ground. And then you've got the, the, the dressing rooms, right behind the goal sort of thing. So, you know, it was just a really good atmosphere um, a lot of the time, yeah. And what about uh, Eric as a coach? Um, You know, may he rest in peace. And uh, I had some involvement a a little bit at Bowgani, and he's just a a gentleman and Mm. a really knowledgeable bloke that's done a lot um, and is well respected. How did you find him, and can you give the listener an insight into Eric as a coach? Yeah, I... uh... His passion for the game, I, I think, is a, the lasting memory I have with Eric. Uh, great guy, you know. Um, just loved the game. His love for the game and, 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 and for his players. He just respected everybody, you know, and everybody respected him again. So I think what worked really well was having Zivko there, who, who just drove things. But um, Eric was the one, you know, because, you know, and he never, very rarely got angry you know it was just he was always calm and and i think that calm persona rubbed off on the plays because he was always in control you know maybe he wasn't underneath but on the surface (laughs) he was in control you know and therefore we were you know so you'd have your jobs and you just go and do your job and everything will be all right and most of the times it was yeah and the grand final of balls paddock um listed down by yourself as a favorite memory um, Cringilla versus Olympic, um, packed at the ground, another great ground in the Illawarra. Um, tell us a bit about the game and, and what you thought about it that day. Yeah, so Olympic, that were one of our big rivalries over the 93-94 um, period. You yeah. know, that, that, they, were, they were a very, very good side as well. Um, well coached with Peter Willis there. So that was just a ding-dong go to... to Mario Mastrani was the referee, you know, <laughs> another one, another great character. Uh, may he rest in peace yeah, as well. Um, so 90 minutes, nil all, nothing between the sides, going to extra time, still just, you know, to and fro the whole the whole way. Um, we had Steve Krishna come back from injury. Yep. 
overweight, you know, <laughs> but he just stuck it out. He just kept going, and and he actually got the goal. I think in one of the periods of extra time. So and then we were just hanging on till to the end. But right at the very end, George Antonu's got a cross in. Yep. I'm sure it was Ian Morris who I was marking for that game. <laughs> got on the end of it and tucked it into the near post. And I'm thinking, no, we're going to penalties, no. And <laughs> and as I'm thinking that, I'm looking around. There's all these people on the ground. And I'm thinking, well, what are you doing here? You know, you can't be here. We're going to pens. And um, one of the players has run up to me and said, no, we've won. We, we've won. It's, you know, he's blown the whistle. I'm like, no, seriously? And um, I haven't shared that with too many because I always thought, no, no, no. You know, I, I knew, I knew um, he'd blown the whistle. You know, But no, I didn't know. I had no idea. Neither did Crash, I'm sure of it. Because we both looked at each other thinking, shit, we stuffed up. But we got there and it was massive. And so, yeah, there was... Uh, the Macedonian people just you know, started dancing on the field and it was just chaos, but um, great memories. And uh, I guess, like you said, another another great striker in the region, Ian Morris. So yeah. at that point in time, uh, like it was you and Cradge, but were you and him looking or had he gone off to sort of start celebrating? Or Yeah, oh, I don't know. I lost him in the crowd. But um, before the game, it, so Itzko and Norm were our two man markers, yeah. but Itzko was um, suspended for the game. Okay. So... Okay, well, I came back to play alongside Norm. Yep. Um, and that was Darren Nees and Ian Morris. Yep. So two great strikers, yeah. but Ian Morris was a hell of a lot quicker than Darren Nees. <laughs> so I'm angling towards Darren Nees to mark him. <laughs> and Norm, you can have Ian Morris. And, uh, and Norm wanted that as well. And so we were pretty much, that's what we were going to do. But Eric's come up to us and, and Norm said, no, nah, I've got Ian Morris. He goes, no, no, uh, Jeff, you've got Ian Morris. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. And... Yeah, you know, it's part of what Eric's mentality he just gave you confidence. Yep. So that was my job, and you go and do it. Yeah, uh, it must have been. Uh, I think there's a, a an iconic picture of uh, uh, Stephen Krishna being chaired off the ground as well. Yeah. Uh, it must have been a, a great um, party that night because um, a culmination of every trophy that you could that was on offer, the the team and the club had won. Yeah, so it, it must have been massive. a great party and. A great atmosphere. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were great times. You know, we were all around each other. So we went back to the Bulleye Workers Club where they did the Man of the Match Awards yep. and all that sort of stuff. And then we just, um, back to the Quinjilla Hotel and then onwards from there, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, you have your next day celebrations and all that sort of stuff. But they're wonderful memories, you know. And it just, it sort of binds those relationships we've got with players. So, you know, I don't see Chris for six months at a time. But if we run into each other, you just automatically Please. go back to those moments for sure. Yeah. And, and 94 was still a very good year with Cringilla. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, could have had the double with the league. But mm. in the last couple of weeks, um, you just let it slip. Can we uh, stuff that up? What, what was the feeling there? Because, yeah. like you've said, it seems like there was a lot of discipline amongst the group and, and high benchmarks since. So. Yep, yep. So that, that continued into 94 and we were on top of the league. We were five points clear with two games to go and we played Lysarts at home and for whatever reason, the, the club had got everything ready to um, celebrate oh, okay. us beating Lysarts and winning the league. I don't like that, you know. <laughs> and it, 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 Lysarts got us. They beat us... Um, and then we had Olympic in the last round at, at, at their ground. Coming second. Yeah, yeah. And the, at Brandon Park number two, which was their home yep. ground at the time. And we think, well, we've still got this, you know, although it's all on the line now, yep. you know, we've still got it. And um, I think it was Shorty Williams, you know, just, and I think I might have not got close enough to him. I can't remember that. And he's core one into the near, near post. And 
Um, Crudge didn't quite get there for the first time, or yeah, <laughs> one of the few occasions he didn't get to it, and they won. Yeah, so and they won, ended up winning the league. So that just inspired us to do better in the final series, and we we got them. We got them in the finals. Yeah, tell us about that '94 Grand Final and, and uh, what you remember of that. Yeah, game. so so that was at Brandon Park. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I love playing at Brandon Park. So especially a Grand Final. So you know, you'd had the experience at Bulleye twelve months earlier. And now we're at Brandon Park, the home of football. Yep. Um, yeah, and we actually yeah. So again. It's code was back in the side, so I was playing in midfield, and I was up against Shorty, um, who was playing on there. I was on the left hand side; he was on their right hand side, and he was, you know, he was a bit of a gun. Um, so that was my job to try and contain him, if you like. Um, but I, I got the opportunity to get forward off that, and um, I managed to get a goal. So we went in at half time and one 0 up, and I'd scored in the grand final, which was a great feeling. And, and talk us through that goal. Uh, <laughs> I still remember it because <laughs> hey, I didn't get too many, but. Um, so we we sort of, you know, we defended, 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 and then it was counter attack from there a little bit. So the ball got played forward, and and Chris, to his great credit, you know, got on the end of it near the byline and just cut the ball back to me, and I've, I've got forward and just struck it first time, and you know, struck it nicely into the bottom corner, and away it went. So you know, that was yeah, a really nice feeling, you know, to to do that. But then we got in at half time. You know, they came at us all through the second half, but then we got a corner and and Itsuko's come forward for the corner. So as much as it was unlikely for me to score, it was just as unlikely for him to score and he's bagged <laughs> the second goal. But funny enough, Johnny Simonoski had come on because it was fairly late in the game. It's 2-0, we've got this, you know. John's come on and in, in part of the celebrations has gone to hug Itsuko but smashed him with his forearm and knocked him out. So it goes out cold. So we're down to 10 men for the next five minutes because he was off the field, knocked out. And then they're coming at us, you know. So that was a, a, a memory. But he, he got back on, thank God, and we, we held him out and we, we got it 2-0, yeah. You played 95 as well with Cringilla? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and sort of um, what do you remember of that year? Yeah, it was it was tough that, that yeah. year because we'd st- it started to fall away, you yeah. know. And, and I guess football... Goes in cycles, you know. Yeah. You have your ups and your downs. So that was coming to the back end. There was other players that were introduced to the club that, you know, weren't. I don't know. For my way, weren't the same mindset that we'd had in years gone in the preceding couple of years. You know, it became a little bit about the money yeah. as opposed to the effort and the reward for that money, sort of thing. Yeah. So there was differences in that aspect, which didn't play out very well. So I seen out the year as did a couple of us, but it was time to move on from there. Yeah, you knew you were you're going to look elsewhere. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. And 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 during that period, um, I, I'd sort of you keep an eye on, on oppositions, yeah. and Lysarts were playing some great football, you know, and I thought, geez, that's, that's an attractive way to play, and Casey De Bruyne was involved there. Yep. I'd always had a lot of time for Casey, and the opportunity presented itself to go and play for um, with Casey at Lysarts, so I took it and I yeah, went from there. And, and how did you find him at, at Lysart's Recreation Oval? Um, yeah. I spoke, spoke a couple of podcasts ago to, to Bob Young, and, oh, and yeah. it was just great to, I guess, get an insight to a, to a man that's been there for 40 years. But um, over 40 years, he, he sort of pinpoints that period there that you were involved in yeah. as uh, some of the best football against Paul Kembler and, you know, the Olympics, but the football that was played um, was just quality. So can you tell... Tell the listener how the team roughly set up and, and how you've played your football. Yeah, so that was Casey's influence 100% on the field, 
yeah. and Bobby's influence off it. There was a great committee there, and Bob Bob was just such a passionate guy and a lovely man that just brought people together. And he had the perfect environment there because you had the the all bowling club, yeah. you know, um, and the Taj they called it, where you would go into and have your after match functions, yeah. you know, and the beers were flowing, and he he orchestrated all of that, you know, and it was a great environment. So we worked so hard on the field and at training, but we also partied pretty hard off it, you know. So it was just a good balance about it, and and Casey, yeah, oversaw all of that, you know. Um, the, the football on the field was some of the best I've ever played, you know, and, and Case was ahead of his time, clearly. Um, so we sort of, we played a, again with um, three at the back. Yep. But it, in a sense it was five because you had your, your, your wing backs that got forward all the time. Um, two up top and a three-man midfield. And, and Phil Matthias was generally in that midfield, if you yep. like. Um, and quality all the way through the park. You know, Warwick Young in goals, who come from the Wolves and was just clearly, a, you know, a great shot stopper. <laughs> um, and then Noel Spencer was coming through and, you know, a, a t- really talented player. Johnny Danzo, yeah. Steve Krishna had come across, so he had a great, you know, combination up top. So it was, for me, I, I just fitted nicely into that because it was all about playing football and moving the ball quickly. And um, I loved the tactical side that... that um, Casey brought to it uh, and yeah I felt as though you were really playing good football you know it was great to be a part of it and you know you had other quality players like you said Paul Harris was there yeah. Dave Kerr um, Shane Williams Paul Morgan so mm. um, there was quality all over the pitch and and as well as that um, Casey was developing younger kids that were coming you know Vic Costable yeah. was another one yeah. and, you know other kids that were doing well in that sort of 16, 17, 18 year age group that were being yep. put through youth grade and, and reserve grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was really good. He, he, he was um, probably one of the best coaches I've ever been involved in from that tactical viewpoint, you know, um, and his ability to bring people together and play good football. And But driving into Lysart's Recreation Centre at training, you know, yep. You'd, you'd look up as you're coming down the driveway and Casey would be out there with a thousand cones all around the field and you're thinking, <laughs> oh shit, you just knew what you are in for. You know, you knew you'd be sprinting around each one of those cones but every session was, you know, um, planned and meticulous and you went from one thing to the next and everything had a purpose uh, and everything was geared towards what we were going to do with the opposition come that weekend. Um, so you just... You buckled yourself in for the ride, you know. And he was—he was a meticulous coach, and you know, has gone on to do great things with Westfield Sports High School, and his yeah. son-in-law Trevor, um, and still in, involved with the young Socceroos as well. So, you know, he's a you know, great coach. And unfortunately, I, I have offered to try and interview him, but um, uh, respectfully, he said no. So. Um, okay. I'll only get my insights through uh, people like yourself. So, uh, was it was it the way that um, he spoke, or was it just like you said, just that meticulous nature where everything was planned, and then you could then see the results out in the pitch after all the hard work on Tuesdays yeah, and for Thursdays? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and you, you just you just knew that you just knew you had. Um, he, he he was a great leader in a sense. You know, he he. Um, it wasn't just what we were doing, but he, he'd planned for the opposition as well. So your, your, your team talks before the game, you know, weren't five-minute jobs. You know, we, we, we would go up and sometimes in the dressing room or sometimes you'd take us somewhere else away yep. from everybody. And, you know, like, like Eric, you, you knew what your role was, but you knew how your role related to everyone else and what, what needed to be done and how and when it needed to be done. And I really bought into that because I just thought, yeah, this, this guy's a coach, you know. And he was very much ahead of his time, I, I, I feel. And... He, 
and again, uh, like great coaches do, he he doesn't he he never stood still. He was always looking for the next generation of how football is going to be played. You know, so I think I admire him a great deal for that. And uh, added to that, um, and and to show the the meticulous way that he did prepare, even though it was the IPL, mm. that you know he had Jerry Walker there yep. as. And Jerry spoke in one year that he went to watch away other teams when he didn't even watch um, Lysart's at the time. He'd go and watch the opposition and do notes so uh, Casey could prepare. And, and obviously in 97, uh, Phil Matthias then took over when Casey took a role um, at, at the state level. So um, he yeah. was uh, very much uh, thinking of the club and, yep. and all grades. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. So, yeah, that, that relationship between Bob Young, who, who you know, oversaw the committee aspect, um, and then Casey did all the on, on-field work, you know, so it worked well over that period of time, and he built that club up really well over that period. And, and 96 was a, was a very good year for Lysart. They, they won the league, and I think they won the club championship. Mm. Uh, it must have been great to sort of taste success Again, yeah, and then um, another grand final battle, but this time against Paul Kimbler in '96. Uh, what do you recall of that game? Yeah, I, I got injured in oh, okay. the uh, the back end of the season, and I played in the uh, reserve grade grand final that year. So I, I again, Holly, my Collarfield was part of the Lysart setup. Yep. So we were sort of um, challenging for the same position. So I, I spent a bit of time in in reserve grade, but also in first grade. So between the two sort of things. So I did my hamstring, I think, in the last second last game or last game of the, the season. Got back for the f- the grand final, which was great. So that was that 96 experience. And then 97, um, under Phil Matthias, I sort of cemented my spot back in the team and, yeah. and we went from there. Yeah, yeah. And what do you recall about 97 then um, and that grand final? <clears throat> yeah, so that was... Again at, at Brandon Park against Cringella yeah. of all teams, um, that was a really close encounter. You know, we again we had a quality side, and 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 Phil brought his own f- mix into it, but it was still very much based on the way Casey had us playing. But yeah, it was a really cagey affair, and we were up two one, two nil, and then they, they'd scored. And one of my v- most vivid memories was. Um, a young Victor Constable, um, who was a talented young player, you know, and he was drafted into the first grade squad and was doing ever so well. But we're two one up and we're a few minutes out from full time and we're, we're hanging on, you know. Now his mentality is all about playing football and what have you, but he's in our own eighteen yard box and he's trying to take people on. And I just went off, you know, I could have killed him, but I turned around and seen Warwick Young and he wanted to kill him more. And so, you know, we we got through and we're still really angry with Victor after the game, but it was all good, you know. And I remind Vic of that whenever I see him. You know, it was it was a a good mix and it was a great year. So it's good to have success. And what about um, Phil? Um, because sometimes. Um and people can have their own opinions, and, and I'll ask you of yours, but um, you've still got to, although Casey had done, I guess, the groundwork, um, he still had to coach the team to success that year. It wouldn't have come just as you just turn up and you win. Um, so to do what you did that year, um, how was he as a coach, and what did he do a bit different? Yeah, look, it was really rewarding for Phil because, you know, there was a lot of expectation on him I guess yeah. to take over from someone like Casey you know um, into into that into that role he was a, Phil was a you know established Premier League player great player um, so he for a long period of yeah, time a long period a very long period of time and um, he, so he had the respect of the playing group no doubt you know what I mean so we yeah he, he he did really well to just to keep that culture going if you like you know yep. 
so we continued to work really hard, just as hard as we did with Case, you know. Um, and we had some quality players. He brought some good players into the club, you know, and, and just kept that going. So that might sound easy, but it, it, I'm sure it wasn't. But he did a great job in getting us through to that grand final and winning it, yeah. And at the end of that season, was it a matter of where you were in your point of your life that you then returned home, so to speak, and you went back to, to Albion Park, Park in 98? Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. So... Yeah, I, I'd sort of always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to, you know, go back and play for Albion Park, you know. And I guess that goes back to way way back yeah. when we started talking about juniors and people like Phil Potter and Frank Zammett, good people that were just, you know, stuck on tried and true Albion Park people, you know. Yeah, I, I, I just took the opportunity to, to do that because yeah. I, at 28 I still felt as I had something to offer as a player. Yeah, I just thought it was if it, I wanted it to be when I still did have something to offer as opposed to going back over 30 and not being able to run anymore and not being able to contribute. So I gave it a crack um, over the next couple of years. But, yeah, so... Because there's a weird... Um, it wasn't weird, but it was yeah. unusual period there for yep. for the club over the next three or four years because I think the first couple of years, Albion Park were in the Conference League. They were struggling. Yep. I think in 99, um, um, I think I was with Bowgowney. We were second last and and Albion Park were, were last. So mm. those first two years weren't, I guess, easy for you. And and um, how were you feeling mentally? Because like you said, you'd made that decision to come back home um, and, and give to the club. So was it hard as well being a, a competitor? Yeah. That you'd had so much success in the 90s to then come back to, to somewhere where you're, you're in a diff- the bottom league, you're not successful and, and it's hard work? Yeah, it was. It was really hard work, you know, and I thought, what have I done here? Because I'd sort of been absolutely blessed with being part of very good teams and very good players. Yeah. Um, so, you know, success sort of come naturally throughout that period of time, whereas this was a different proposition altogether, yeah. you know. And, I, you know, I got married that year. We'd, we'd had our son in 97 so all, all that family dynamic was happening you know we were looking at building where we are now um you know so that was a big 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 focus of my life yep. you know was not football whereas in preceding years it was all yeah. about football and everything else came second so that was the transition and here i was in a club that was doing it really tough um even though it was my club trying to do what i can to help that but struggling at the yeah. same time um, so all that played out over those couple of years and then during that time at the back end of that period yes, I don't know what I'm going to do yeah that amalgamation yeah. occurred between again Wollongong White Eagles yep. you know so there's that Serbian connection coming back and my local Albion Park club so I thought oh, that's that sounds like a really good fit you know yeah. and Terry Reserve was being developed so that all that all was playing out so I thought oh, I really want to be a part of that um, and that sort of kicked on from there. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I guess in that period you had you know two clubs merging. Mm. You had the the new ground being progressed, and then ninety nine you last in the league, but the next minute you are as a merged entity back in Premier League because Wollongong White Eagles had their spot, and yeah. and then you were relegated that year. So um, how did you find it being back in Premier League after the year before you're in? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a crazy time actually. It was sort of yeah, there was, there was some conference league wins we had there somewhere. Yeah. I think that came a little bit later on after yeah, in, that. So in, in yeah, two thousand and one and two. Yeah, so it it sort of took, it was just crazy. You know, we were all over the place, and so I think they sort of had to go down to establish themselves yeah. and get organised, and then 
the journey back up through the Conference League, which was nice to be a part of, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. it was two grand finals there. In 2001, um, Albion Park White Eagles were fourth, but you won the grand final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in the next year, you were out and out the, the league champions and then, you know, uh, thrust Shell City in the, that grand final in 2002. So yeah. do you have any recollections of yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Vaguely, I do. I do. And, and Phil Matthias had the, uh, came back on board for a period in that first 2001 year. Yep. And he, 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 he got, a, got the club going. You know, yep. And then Steve Macheski came yep. in. And in between that period of time, I, th- I think they'd appointed David Skeen as coach. Oh, okay. And I was really looking forward to that because that, that was another connection that connection I had. Um, but that didn't work out for whatever reason and Steve took over. Um, and he's seen that progression from you know through to the Premier League and had some great success with the club in that, that, that early period as well. So um, it was great to get reinvited back involved with Phil Matthias yep. and have some success with him again. That was really enjoyable uh, in that first year and then it just kicked on from there. So we started being able to attract players back to the club and you know, being able to develop that and they've gone from strength to strength ever since the club, which is great news. Yeah, yeah definitely. And from what I can see from an outsider, you know, developed a relationship with the junior yep. club, yep. Um, which is sometimes difficult as I'm, I'm well aware with about Gowney that you don't always... You've got two separate clubs, and it doesn't always mean that it's a happy marriage. No, exactly. And there's some really strong, um, lovely people that are part of that yeah. Albion Park committee. People, like, and I'm thinking of Frank Zamet first and yeah. foremost, that um, have overseen all of that, yeah. the, the good and the bad, and stayed loyal and strong to that club, and have overseen that connection between locally the juniors and, and the senior club. So it, it's great to see that now from the outside looking in. Yeah, definitely. And in 2002, was it a matter of you then uh, had a year at amateurs with, with a newly formed club at Dandaloo in 2003? Um, yeah. And then they then had their uh, sort of journey of yeah. going up the league. So what made the change? Um, was it Daryl Waller that got in contact with it you? It was. Yeah, it was. And, and, yeah, I, so we were, I was living here now, yep. out in Horsley. Um, my next-door neighbour at the time, uh, they've since moved, Paul Grossman. We, we yep. were sort of, he had a football career as well. And we were both, I was at the end, I finished with Albion Park, um, you know, that that was all good, but... Had you thought you'd retired in a Yeah, sense? pretty much, yeah, yep. yeah, I'd stepped back and I, um, I, I sort of thought, well, I, know, I don't know whether I want to play or not sort of thing, and I got a knock at the front door, and it was Daryl Waller and David Spencer, yep. and Dave, Dave was the, the coach in that inaugural year, I said, why don't you come and play, we've got your next door neighbour playing, and I'm like, <laughs> oh... Yeah, okay, that sounds all right, you know, just come and have a run. And um, we did really well in, in, in that first first year. Yeah, and, and Tony yeah. Hutchison, who was president of the club, what, what, what really pleased me and attracted me to that, to, to that scenario was there were so many um, similarities to the Lysars experience. Yep. You know, we're at Dandaloo, you had the pub as a major sponsor. It was just really sociable, you know, and um, I just enjoyed my football there. Yeah, it was good, it was great. Well, uh, in a succession of years, you know, 2003 is uh, playing in the Amateur League and then 2004 in the First Division and then uh, 2005 um, League Champions in First Grade in the Premier League. It's just um, romantic stuff from a footballing sense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was really nice to be a part of all of that. You know, so so the the Conference League stuff was good because I was a part of that, but once the club took the step up to Premier League, that was... Playing-wise, it was a bridge too far for me. I was too old. I just didn't have it. But I was still part of the reserve grade side yeah. and in amongst the first grade. And they'd got um, Peter Beggs in as coach, yeah. a you know, lovely guy, a smart man um, and a good fit for the club. 
And so Daryl, um, he, he ran the show. You know, he had the committee all organised with Hutcho. Yeah. It was a great president. So they just went from strength to strength from there. You know, yeah. and there was my what was what really helped me was you know, my relationship with Daryl and being able to get into coaching. Um, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to. If I couldn't play. I didn't want to go play amateurs. I just, yeah. I, I don't know why. I just didn't, I did, couldn't do that. But I thought I always had, you know, wanted to coach. And I, th- I guess that's built on what I'd learnt from people like Eric Thompson, John Frew, and, and Casey De Bruyne. Yeah. I've seen those influences and thinking, geez, I, I would like to have a go at this, you know, because um, I love the game. But, and I think I could do more than from coaching than playing amateurs. So that's what I did. And I got the opportunity at Dandaloo and went from there. So how did you find those first uh, two years uh, in, in youth grade at, uh, at Dandaloo? I think it was 2007 through to midway through in 2009. Yeah. So how did you sort of find that transition from being a player? Um, you're at a club where people knew you, obviously, but you were sort of, I guess, learning as a coach yeah. during your apprenticeship. How did you How do you look back on it now? Yeah, it was really rewarding in the sense that I, I, I thought it would come easy coaching but it really doesn't you know it doesn't matter what you do playing wise it's a completely di- diff- different kettle of fish coaching and I had to go through all that you know um, and being able to do that at a club like Dan Lou where you felt so supported and you're a part of the fabric of the place really helped me yep. um, because they're were, they were all local players young players that you know were there to play sort of thing but you, you've got all those different um, mindsets and different <laughs> um, personalities and different focuses you know and trying to bring all that together and play football was just such a such a challenge you know and I really enjoyed it so but it was completely different than I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be a walk in the park and you know, I, I quickly lost that you know it's um it was a challenge but a, a rewarding one at the same time yeah and midway through two thousand and nine, um, you got a you got a call from uh, was it was it Trevor Morgan? It was yeah, and and Glenn Fontana, Fontana. yeah. And so, uh, what did they call you up about, and and what then transpired in those next sort of, I guess, from two thousand nine midway through to two thousand and fifteen? Yeah. What did you do? Yeah, and where was it? So so Trevor was appointed the first grade coach. It was the South Coast Wolves, I think it was yeah. called then, and that, you know part of their journey. name change, yeah, yeah. name change. So and and. Um, he was pretty much doing both the youth team and first grade on his own. Um, and, and Glenn was, I think they'd obviously had a conversation about looking for someone to come and give Trevor a hand, you know. And um, and for whatever reason, Glenn, Glenn's picked up the phone and uh, talked to me about it. I'm like, oh, that sounds really good, you know. Um, and again, it's an opportunity for me to learn. And, and, and Daryl, to his great credit, said, just go. You know, yeah. it was mid-season, so I, I yeah, didn't want to exactly. leave the club in the lurch. That it meant a lot to me. But he's like, no, this is a great opportunity to go. So I did, and and then that was like a, again a really important moment because I, I'd had all this, I got all this knowledge. I you know, think I did, and then I thought, yeah, I could help Trevor out with you know being part of the Wolves in years gone by and all that sort of stuff. But he just opened my eyes up, similar to what Casey did when yeah. we were at Lysarts to, I guess, a new generation of how football's being played. You know, so even like the technical aspects had all changed. You know, you were now defending from in front instead of man marking people and. You know, the way in which he had them playing was, again, different than the way I was sort of brought up to play. So, And that all really interested me and sparked my enthusiasm. So, And he was just such a great mentor at the same time. So we would bounce off each other. We'd design sessions together. Um, you know, he'd walk me through all that. And he was very, very supportive of me coming into that environment. Yep. So 
yeah, I just I grew a lot in that period of time in working with Trevor. Yeah. And sort of over those uh, five and a half years, what sort of roles did you take yeah. um, up, and, and and what what did you think, and what did you think of that period of time? Yeah, so it was really tough. The wolves were struggling, yeah. you know, um, and you know Tr- Trevor, you know, was on his journey, you know, um, yeah. and he's doing so well. But it was great to be able to support him through that time. But we'd have to try and identify grounds in the area to go and train and that would change from you know month to month depending on where we could get and all that sort of thing. It was really a nomadic club in it was, a sense, wasn't yeah, it? it was, yeah. So I had all the training gear in the boot of the car and stored here at home and all that sort of thing and you'd have to watch your own bibs and bring those to the session because there wasn't that you know additional support yeah. as part of the club. So they were tough times but you know good people saw that through which was important. Um, but Glenn invested a lot of time Glenn Fontana invested yep. a lot of time in me and gave me a lot of roles working with the junior teams as well yep. so I had at different times 14s and 16s and uh, the youth team and yep. then as I was uh, first grade assistant coach I'd also have one of the junior teams so I was getting a really good grounding a and understand yeah of you know um, good high level football and, and the way in which we wanted it to play, you know, throughout the club. Yep. Um, so that, that was a really good breeding ground for me in terms of my development as a coach, yeah. And what about Glenn Fontana? Because uh, synonymous in the area in terms of a player, but also in the coaching ranks. So yeah. what did you learn from him? Yeah, look, he's, he's been a great mentor over the years as well. He was, um, along with, he had a season or two in that youth team when I was trying to break into the first team where he was a youth grade yeah. coach at the Wolves. So, and he... You know, it'll be all right, Jeff. Just keep plugging away, keep working. See, so and he sort of had that role with me in, in different stages, yeah. you know, as a player and then as a coach. Um, so he's been a great sounding board over the years and a man with a lot of experience, obviously, in this area. So he's been, yeah, um, a great support, no doubt. And within that period, and um, I deliberately went over it, but you um, then had a, a season with your son um, where I think it was 2012 where you took time out from, from the Wolves and coaching anywhere else. So was that a, a good um, life cycle moment that you're sort of doing what your parents had done mm. and, and, and although you probably were focusing on him and your kids along concurrently alongside your other coaching, just to give him that focus for that year and supporting him? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a conscious decision because he, he, he was 15 at that stage. Um, so he'd sort of gone on a similar journey with you know, the Wolves youth um, junior teams yep. uh, and was doing really well as a player and then he got identified as one of those in those national championship sort of things yep. and was selected in a New South Wales team which became the New South Wales Institute of Sport team which meant um, they would train where Sydney FC train yep. um, and two and three times a week and then another session or a game at the weekend so it was a massive commitment for that year but it was just about well you know he's earned that opportunity it's my now my time as a as a parent to you know help facilitate that and give him that opportunity so it was a no-brainer really but it just (laughs) meant having to stop my commitments with the Wolves which was uh, hard a little bit, but it was With time. The coaches had, I guess, it was hard. But, yeah, but yeah. From a parenting one, it was an easy one. Exactly, but a sort of, <laughs> I, I, so I'd take him up there predominantly. Although Leanne, you know, we, we'd take it in turns and what have you. But um, it also played out that I could go there and just get in the background and um, you know watch the sessions and learn yep. from that as well because they had coaches like Ian Crook yep. who oversaw um, that that squad and that was a terribly 
well-credentialed squad. There's been players out of that that have gone on to play so- in the un- in Socceroos and what have you. But it was great for Bowden to be a part of that, definitely, and he learned a lot over that that period of time. But and it was Robbie Slater, son was part of that as well. So I sort of got to spend some time with Robbie and talk football, you know, <laughs> at a different level, you know, without the pressure of coaching sort of thing. So yeah, no, that was it was a great experience. Yeah, and um, I'm sure that's helped with his football moving forward. Yeah, and I guess there was. Uh uh, there was no issues with Gregory's at that point in time. No. You, had, you, had, you had the iPhone no. or, or yeah, TomTom well, or some GPS Yeah, system. we did. Yeah, and, and it, we'd also... So Bo would uh, finish school. I'd get out of work early because I, I was working down here at the time and we'd go straight to the bakery at Gwynville and load up on pies and sausage rolls for the, <laughs> the trip up to the nor- uh, northern suburbs there because it was a long trip. It was up west uh, wow. ride. So yeah, it took us a couple of hours to get to the field, but... Um, it was okay. It was good. Yeah, nice. And and do you think um, uh, what sort of hat did you put on? Because I guess when you were doing it, your mum and dad just had parents' hats on. They didn't have soccer yeah, yeah. experience. Were you sort of wary of being the coach at time and just being the parent? Was it conscious? Did you have to really focus on that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried really hard just to be a dad, you know, yep. and and not just let Bowden have his own experiences, yep. you know, and that. You know, sometimes that could be hard, but I, I, I try to keep that very much at the front of my mind. And we've had those discussions few and far between in years gone by. You know, mate, did I ever put pressure on you? And he he would, he, he says no. Yeah. And I, I try very hard not, not to do that because, you know, I don't know, similar to hopefully what mum and dad experienced. It's, it's just great being able to sit back and watch your kids, yeah. whether it's Bowden with soccer or um, Chelsea with a dancing or yep. Sophie with a netball. It's just great to be, you know, a parent. You know? Part of it. Yeah. So 2016, um, you then uh, took a IPL first grade coaching position mm. and um, it was with uh, Albion Park. Yeah. Um, how did that position come about and, and talk us through the year? Yeah, so I guess I'd come to... Um, there were some changes with the Wolves. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd worked with you know, Trevor and then um, Noel Arate yeah. became involved and Jason Spencer, who had a relationship with the Lysart. So it was great to be a part of that. Um, Lloydie was there in between times, so yep. you know, it was sort of all up and down being part of that coaching makeup. Yep. And then Jacob Timpano was appointed, um, got on really well with Jacob, but I think it was t- he had his own support crew yep. that he wanted to bring in. So I was looking for another opportunity. Um, it was time for a bit of a, you know, a change from the Wolves. I, w- I went to service my car, <laughs> and um, Steve Macheski walked in at the same time. He goes, oh, how are you going, Jeff? Good, Steve. What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, oh, oh i got a job for you. So he just put me in touch with the committee at Albion Park, and I think a week later I'd signed as their first grade coach for 2016. So just like that, you know, sliding doors. <laughs> and how was it to sort of take the reins of your home club and... And, and it was a quite a successful season. Yeah, well, it, it, it ended up being a successful season. It was a bit of a journey getting to there. Yeah. But, um, so I, I'd, I'd undertaken my um, sea licence, yeah. I think, in the year before that. So I had a good grounding in how I wanted um, to come back to the IPL and coach, you know. Um, so I was pretty adamant about that. But so, you know, it was... That they'd the, the club, Steve had done a great job and the committee had done a great job about having a core group of players there. So it was a fairly good side that I was walking into. Yep. But added to that, in in that first period I was there, that three Japanese players turned up to trial. Yep. You know, and so we threw them in there. And it, there was two or three weeks there where we were toing and froing whether we wanted them or not or whether they'd fit and all that sort yep. of thing. 
but as the sessions developed and as their understanding and relationship with the players that were there developed, I don't know, we could just see things, something, a point of difference, you yeah. know. Um, so we ended up signing the three of them. And um, that took a bit of time to gel because we weren't travelling too well in the first few yeah. few rounds of the competition. It was, you know, things were starting to come together, but they weren't. But we just kept persisting with the way we wanted to play. Um, and then we just got on this role that... Um, you know, and with the influence of the Japanese players, but not only that, Vaughan Patterson. It was a good, good side. Mitch Del Turco, yeah. a good back four. Bryce in goals, who was re- you know doing really well at the time. So, that it, it just it just worked. You know, so yeah, we ended up going through and winning the grand final. Yeah, and um, I think you've spoken about it, but uh, how do you uh, reflect on that now, that first year? Because it's it's highly unusual to sort of be a first time coach. Um, in a very, very competitive league and then sort of take one of the trophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was very proud to come back to my home club. Mum and Dad lived just around the corner, so it was just a nice fit. I could go and have a cup of coffee with them before I went to training. And, <laughs> you know, that that just sort of... It was nice to, in a sense, be back home, you yeah. know, and contributing. Frank Zammett is still there, was there, he's still there, yeah. will be there. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a, a really... The, the, the people that um, were supporting Wollongong Serbia when I was there were still part of the club. So, you know, and we still had that connection. You know, it doesn't matter in football. It's just great to have those connections. Yeah, so definitely. it just, I don't know, it was just had a really, it was a nice time and, and a good good fit. Um, and the football we played, I was very proud of that. You know, they played some great stuff. Do you think um, uh, doing what you did at... Um I guess Dandaloo first in youth grade and then at the Wolves um, helped you then be a, a good or a better coach in that first opportunity? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I try and I still do try to draw on all those experiences, um, but then at the same time try very much to be my, me, yeah. you know, and not someone else. So that's been, you know, that's been a whole and continues to be, you know, um, an evolution. I guess because yeah, I'm so I'm always learning things. Just when you think things are going really well, something will go wrong. You know what I mean? You have to try and find out a way why I use that and rectify it and bring it back to where you want to be. So that's just a, a constant thing, you know. And I'm I've, I'm learning that. I haven't learned it, but I'm learning it. You know. So, um, but the, again, that's the challenge that like, draws me to the game. I think, yeah. And uh, like you said, there's challenges, and sometimes there's external factors outside the coaching bubble in 2017 yep. um yep. sort of three quarters of the way through you you were only three points out of the top top five but relieved of your duty so yeah. so how was how was that especially like you said you've got relationships there yeah. Yeah. um you've been at this sort of club at three different decades i guess yeah so it must have been tough on a few levels yeah it was yeah it, it hurt you know um but you know i've got and I wanted to blame every everyone I possibly could at the time, <laughs> but you know, as as time has gone on and you reflect on it, well, it's just you know, there's there's no blame associated with that. It's just that things weren't working the way that I wanted them to, you know. And in a sense, that's no one's fault other than my own as coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've got to keep looking for ways to make things better, and sometimes they do and it works, and sometimes they don't. And we we were very stop start that whole year, and yeah. we just couldn't get um, couldn't get that run going that we were able to the year before. You know, although I still think, and I, I still think that um, with the, the the players that I had there in that in that 2017 year, 
if we if we'd have jagged it into the the final series, which we were still capable of doing, we we, we could have done some good so. things. But you know that's football, you know. Um, and so I was just left with, okay, you know, it hasn't worked out the way I wanted it to. I still have a passion for coaching. Whatever opportunity comes up next, I'm going to take it and, and yeah. go with it. And, and an opportunity did come. Yeah, Wollongong United, another huge club in the area. And um, from an outsider looking in and, and listening to and reading some of the media that year, there was it seemed like there was a huge expectation at the club. Um, yeah. I guess there always is because it is a big club, but more so um, because you haven't just got the IPL, which is one of the trophies you want, but there's the FFA Cup which I guess all Illawarra clubs are trying to hard to sort of do well or even get on TV and, and face some of the bigger clubs. So how did that year pan out for you? Yeah, look, um, so the reason it came about was, again, that relationship I had with Darrell Waller. Yep. So Dapto, Dan, Kemble Waller Fury, yeah. the, the last iteration of that whole thing, yeah. um, finished. Yep. So there, it was sort of, in a sense, Darrell um, had an agreement with... Wollongong United that they would come together yep. okay, under the Wollongong United banner yep. um, and that they needed a coach and that I'd be appointed as coach so um, you know great playing roster you yeah. know um, and I thought well okay this is probably the biggest and best opportunity I've got if I'm true to my word about wanting to continue to coach then why not take the biggest and best job that you can yep. I was there and so you know Daryl and myself um talked through that and I thought yeah I'm going to give this a crack and, and it was a great team yeah. lots of good players in a really good training environment um, which was just not far from here it's only five <laughs> minutes down the road um, so I had a lot going for it but it was about trying to, to to build those connections between the core group of players who were already at Wollongong United and, and the, the I guess the cream of the crop from that Kemble Warra Fury group and bringing that together and establish a team and I think Early, early doors, we, we sort of did that because we went through the um, pre-season cup and killed it, you know, yeah. and, and won the final 5-0. So if there was expectation expectation at the start of the year, that just sort of grew on the back of that pre-season it performance. Up, yeah. yeah, so it was like, okay, you know, so away we go. Um, but then the, the following Tuesday, we had a couple of injuries out of the um, pre-season cup final. One of the rest, a couple of players, thought it might be an easy sort of game. Went up to... Um, Blacktown Spartans ground yeah. and we got beaten in the first round of the FFA Cup which was like oh no and then we had a mixed start to the season yep. as, as you know I guess experience shows me is the way that my teams tend to go it's sort of a slow burn yeah. you know until we get ourselves organised but um, uh, yeah that that just put a lot of pressure on me as, as a coach uh, and Daryl um, yeah. and so it was a tough sort of ride there that year um, but we sort of came out of it okay. We got ourselves to the grand final and acquitted ourselves really well in that grand final. Yeah, yeah and I'll, I'll, like I said, there's other people like Dylan Arvello that have done a great job and a, another great interview I'd get people to listen to where they talk through the specifics of uh, of that game um, because Bulleye and Olympic in those years were, yeah. were strong clubs. The next uh, two years, 2019, 2020, you've been at Coniston FC. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to me, uh, an outsider looking in, that you developed a great relationship with the, the committee and the playing group, and there was a real synergy there in the last two years, uh, excluding COVID. Uh, was it a successful period? It looked yeah, like it. Yeah, I, I think so. And it, the Coniston have established themselves as, as a, um, a, you know, a, a strong club now, and, and they've been 
better themselves in the Premier League, yeah. which is what the goal was over that period of time. Um, and I can only see good things for that club moving forward, um, both on the field but certainly off the field. So they've got a very in the background. And and John's the president. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't see them very often, but a, f- a high-functioning, um, well-performing committee yeah. with, with, with John overseeing all that as, as, as club president. And, and I'm not just talking the senior football, I'm talking yeah, junior football. Yeah. It's a one club. It's a community-based model. It was the thing that attracted me to go there in the first place. Um, and they're doing such a great job right the way through to the club. The under-17s and under-18s just won their championships yeah. in, in, in recent week. Um, their second grade have had a, a, a great season so that the the depth in terms of the playing squad is there um they've got a great youth team and a great youth setup um and that, that that's only going to bring more success i think as the club moves forward so although i'm sad to leave there at the at the end of the two years i you know i'm sort of um really pleased and proud of i guess in a sense the contribution i've been able to make alongside john over that period of time so i'm looking forward to the club doing really well in years to come and what about um, sort of that uh, contrast between you as a player and then you as a coach? Because as a player, you know, um, uh, relatively you could pick and choose where you wanted to play and usually you, yeah. you played with successful teams. Now as a coach, it's not the case. <laughs> a, a committee chooses whether you stay or, or yeah. go and, and, and you've seen that a, a couple of times already. So is that a hard sort of... Uh, mindset to sort of get on top of yeah it is it is actually but but I, I sort of I got to go back to well what what do I want to do you know and I, I think um I love the game yep you know it's a sort of the tries I might over the years to get away from the game I, I keep getting drawn back so I think why leave you know what I mean I've um it gives me uh, a, a good balance in my life yep. so I've got work and I've got home and then I've got my football and um so coaching is something that still appeals to me, still attracts me, still challenges me. Um, I love the Premier League. I think yeah. it's a really strong competition. And I think if next year it's going to be that much stronger again. Everyone's gone through the trials of this year and COVID, we've come yeah. out of it, you know, with COVID. Um, and then I think most, if not all, clubs are gearing themselves up to be the best they can be in 2021. So hopefully, you know, as a community, we get over this COVID business and we get back to some form of normality and, and football is going to be a key driver to all of that, you know, as far as I can see, for all of us. Um, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity of being part of that with the new club at Blamby. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the Rosellas have uh, sort of done what Coniston have done. They've, mm. they've come up from the District League, which is tough to come into Premier League. Um, there's sort of two tiers within the Premier League in a sense that yeah. you've got your big, strong clubs and everyone else is sort of trying not to get relegated and, yep. and aspire to be better. So um, pretty excited about that role. Yeah, I am. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be uh, a, a key for me is to... Uh, um, there's a core group of players there that, are, you know, that need to stay and yeah. are, 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 will stay, which is good, but we need to add some, you know, some young talent to that. And, and then again, similar to experiences I've had in the past is trying to bring that together yeah. um, in, in an attractive footballing sense. You know, so I'll be drawing on all those experiences that I've had to try and build that again. So you know, that's the challenge I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And I know you've been at different clubs and it may have worked differently, but um, my, my club at Balgani, um haven't got money to spend mm. and don't pay players. So can you tell the listener of 
roughly what's the relationship with yourself as a coach and the committee who sort of put the money into yeah. the paid players? How does it work about do you um, have ultimate veto about players or is there usually a core group when you join a club and then you work with the committee about here's my budget, here's what's out there, we work together? Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much. I've taken the philosophy, if you like, and this is held true up to this point, is that um, I, I don't get involved in the financial side okay. of it. So the committee, the committee have their budget yep. and they have an understanding of how, how much they can afford to pay players. Um, I no doubt work with the committee about identifying players that I think we need. Yep. Um, but from that point, I'll talk to the player about what I see their role being as yep. part of the squad but the financial side is on the other side of the so fence, and they go. And, that will then yeah, exactly. You move on to the next. Part. Yeah, that they go and deal with all that. So I, I keep that completely separate. Yep. So my relationship with the playing group and with individual players is purely about their football, yep. um, and I think that's worked. Um, I know that's different. That's in a sense, maybe in years to come, it would be good to have that additional challenge of um, managing the budget. Yep. But it's not something that um, I've done. And that I really want to entertain anyway, yeah. And I guess the final one I've gotten, I thank you very much for for giving up your time to to do this interview. I sincerely appreciate it. But uh, what fascinates me that you've had so many great coaches over your period, you know, you talk about Alan Best, you talk about Frewey, you talk about Casey, Eric Thompson. Uh, You do a lot of, um, in the last sort of 20 years, a lot of theory as a coach and you do a lot of learning what happens when some of that theory that you agree with sort of contrasts with what those coaches did, which was unique to them? How do you sort of marry up the two that both were successful? How do you how do you manage that? Yeah, well, that, that's the great challenge, isn't it? You know, and that's what draws me to the game. That's what frustrates me. That's what um, you know doesn't allow me to leave the game. Is that you know I'm always looking, and and I think. It's about, well, okay, I think football evolves. You know, if we go back to, like, you know, when I first started playing, it was two at the back, three and five up top, and there's a complete reversal of that. All that sort of stuff plays out. That's the beauty of the game. So I I never, like those great coaches, I never want to stand still, you know, and I think that's the fascination about the game that that keeps me involved is that, okay, whatever I'm doing, you know, I've, I've, I've constantly got to be looking at the next iteration of that. And, and what that looks like and, and how I can um, draw players into that and, and help them or want them to feed off that, you know. So the, the game constantly evolves and I think that's the fascination that, that I love about yeah, about it, yeah. Well, hopefully uh, for the rest of us and, and the Illawarra footballing community, that fascination continues for a while and, and Jeff, I sincerely appreciate your time and, and making yourself available and, and sharing your journey on, on this podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Travis. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Cheers. Mate. Well, it is here where we finish episode 55. Once again, I'd like to sincerely thank Jeff for the time he spent conversing with me in his home. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.